It's the Healthy Family Show, and I am your host, Jenny Hatch. Today is the day we'll find out if the Brunson Brothers case will be heard at the Supreme Court of the United States. There was so much conversation about this case a few months ago that um, people like Tracy Beans over at, oh, I can't think of the name of her website, decided to write a piece about it, deconstructed it, debunked it, said there's nothing to see here. It's a lark. It's fake. And many people called the brothers Loy, Roland, Darren, and Gaynor grifters, said they're just doing it for the money. And so people on the left laughed about it and dismissed it. People on the right laughed about it, dismissed it. And that's pretty much been the approach for, you know, many that I, people that I read and I can see. And so it was just really interesting the other day when on his true social account, President Trump sent out a link to an article at justthenews.com talking about this case, SCOTUS, Supreme Court of the United States, to reconsider hearing case alleging Biden, Harris, and the lawmakers engaged in a rigged election, claiming it's equivalent to war since both both put into power a victor, argues the plaintiff, and therefore allegations of a rigged election must be investigated. So the question has to be, why did they do it? Why did they do it? You know, why did SCOTUS say you know, I think we might take a look at this. And apparently today is the day that they are planning to say whether or not they're going to actually do it. So I would invite anybody who's here today on Colin to chime in and share their thoughts on the case, what you've heard, what you know. Um, the case was always a long shot. There's no question about that. But there have been legal scholars who have stepped up and reviewed it and said this this could work. This, you know, is constitutional. And so it's been interesting to me to read those um, articles deconstructing it and saying why they think it's valid. And then reading the more articles. There's many, many articles and pundits who've chimed in and said this is just not even possible. Even including someone like Robert Barnes, who is a gifted attorney. He simply um, dismissed it as just not even being possible. And so I'm just watching the whole thing. I'm, I'm not an attorney. I don't know uh, legalities. I don't understand the things that other, people's un- other people understand. I'm just watching the whole thing with a, a wry grin on my face saying, okay, so what is this? I don't know. But I do know that... Um, On Truth Social, when Trump sent out this, this I call it a tweet, but he sent out a post, um, it just really upped the visibility of it to me. So the plaintiff, Roland J. Brunson, seeks the defendant's removal from office for violating their oaths. After the Supreme Court declined on January 9th to hear Brunson's lawsuit, he filed a petition for reconsideration on January 23rd. 
On February 1st, the court scheduled the private conference for reconsidering the petition on Friday when four of the nine justices must vote to grant the case a hearing for it to move forward. So that's today. And, um, you know, I'm just watching it. So does anybody have any thoughts? I guess I'm the only one here right now. So I'm going to just go ahead and read a little bit more about the case so that um, those of you who are listening on the replay downstream on other podcasting sites can just learn more about it, just in case you haven't even heard of it. Um, Like I said, I am not a legal mind. I've just kind of followed it. And so you can take my opinion for what it's worth, which at this point isn't worth a whole lot, but um, it is interesting. So, I am not on Truth Social, where people there have been talking about this quite a bit. But my daughter is, and she told me that everybody's been talking about this all week. And theorizing and wondering, you know, what is what. And, um... So... One of the things that Tracy Beans mentioned before she wrote her article is that she personally had received more emails from her supporters about this case than any other thing she'd ever talked about or written about. Asking her what she thought, asking her to chime in. And so that to me tells me there's a lot of people interested. The other side of the case is that the Brunson brothers asked citizens to just send letters to the Supreme Court asking them to take up the case. And apparently there have been a lot of people who sent in these letters. And so um, the Brunsons created a template to, you know, help people craft their, their messages. And I didn't do this. I, I didn't feel like, you know, it was something that I, you know, supported necessarily. But, um, like I said, I'm just watching. So this letter says Supreme Court of the United States, Brunson versus Adams et al. Um, attention to all the associates. Chief Justice John Roberts, Associate Clarence Thomas, Associate Sonia Sotomayor, Samuel Lito, Lena Kagan, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, Brent Kavanaugh, and Associate Justice Kentaji Brown-Jackson. Dear Justices, this letter is to express my support of the above-referenced case. I am concerned the United States has experienced a national security breach and a violation of every citizen's greatest power in a republic, i.e. voting. I ask that you stand against the adherence of foreign and domestic enemies and uphold the supreme law of the land by granting this petition. You truly are in a position that represents a court system greater than the world has ever seen. I, along with many others, seem to be witnessing our nation being captured 
and I am left to wonder if it might be by some of these very respondents. I pray for the right and just outcome, and I am grateful for your time and consideration. So that's the letter they've been asking everyone to send in to the Supreme Court. And um, I'm going to read just a little bit of Tracy Bean's article because from everything I read, um, this was probably the best uh, rejoinder to it that was, you know, kind of saying this is a big fat nothing. So she called it, oh, her site is Uncovered DC. I forgot about that. So she called it the truth about the Brunson case. And she wrote this article on December 30th. And then the Brunson case was on the docket for um, consideration on January 6th, which many people took to be significant because it was the two-year anniversary of the January 6th event at the Capitol. So she started out by saying this column isn't going to earn anyone money. To the contrary, many of you will likely hate us for writing it. But the truth is, this is from January 9th. And this was kind of like the tone of the articles that were, were you know, after it was dismissed back in January. And then you have people like Gateway Pundit, who tends to be conservative and right wing. And he's talking about how President Trump retweeted this Brunson case. And the Brunson brothers case is back in the news. These brothers are behind a lawsuit that claims that numerous politicians on both sides of the aisle violated their oaths of office by not investigating evidence of fraud in the 2020 election. The Gateway Pundit wrote about this case previously. The brother's case was sent up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and there were hopes that the court would take it up in early January. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court refused to take on the case. But the brothers have not given up. They are again asking the U.S. Supreme Court to ensure justice for all in the U.S. by looking into their case. Many Americans believe that there was wrongdoing in the 2020 election, and I'm one of them. I believe there was a lot of fraud, especially right here in my home state of Colorado, where I believe that the powers that be have perfected the art of the steal using mail-in ballots. We have all mail-in ballots. We don't have any place where we drop off ballots anymore. Uh, no, we drop off ballots. We just don't have any polling places where we go vote in person. By not investigating the obvious cases of fraud and corruption, numerous U.S. politicians on January 6, 2021, violated their oaths. The Supreme Court is set to reconsider whether to hear a lawsuit alleging President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, former Vice President Mike Pence, 291 House members, and 94 senators violated their oaths of office by refusing to investigate evidence of fraud in the 2020 election before certifying Biden as the victor on January 6, 2021, allowing for Biden and Harris to be fraudulently inaugurated. 
The plaintiff, Rowland J. Brunson, seeks the defendant's removal from office for violating their oaths. After the Supreme Court declined on January 6th, on January 9th, to hear Brunson's lawsuit, he filed a petition for reconsideration on January 23rd. On February 1st, the court scheduled the private conference for reconsidering the petition, the petition on Friday, when four of the nine justices must vote <clears throat> to grant a hearing for it to move forward. Um, for information on the 2020 election and the obvious corruption, get Joe Hoff's books on Amazon on the matter, The Steel, Volume 1, Setting the Stage, and The Steel, Volume 2, The Impossible Occurs. And then there's an article at Just the News that was retweeted by President Trump. So far, it's had 6.2 thousand retruths and 15,000 likes. Um, he didn't allow anybody to comment on this truth post. So we don't know what people are saying on his feed, but this article at Just the News is the one that he retweeted. I always say retweet. He retruthed. SCOTUS to reconsider hearing case alleging Biden-Harris lawmakers ignored 2020 fraud and broke their oaths. The Supreme Court is set to reconsider whether to hear a lawsuit alleging President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, former Vice President Mike Pence, 291 House members and 94 senators violated their oaths of office by refusing to investigate evidence of fraud in the 2020 election before certifying Biden as the victor on January 6th, 2021, allowing for Biden and Harris to be fraudulently inaugurated. The plaintiff, Rellen J. Brunson, seeks the defendant's removal from office for violating their oaths. After the Supreme Court declined on January 9th to hear Brunson's lawsuit, he filed a petition for reconsideration on January 23rd. On February 1st, the court scheduled the private conference for reconsidering the petition on Friday, which is today, when not four of the nine justices must vote to grant the case a hearing for it to move forward. And then it shared a PDF of the rehearing document, which I'm going to read. So in the Supreme Court of the United States, Rollin J. Brunson versus Alma S. Adams on petition for writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the 10th Circuit. Petitioner's petition for rehearing. And it's stamped received January 26th, 2023. There's the table of authorities, points, authorities, and arguments, argument, the oath of office, conclusion, certific certificate of good faith, rule four, rule 44, gives the constitutional provisions, the cases, the rules. Rear hearing of the denial of Sir Tiorari is appropriate in situations involving intervening circumstances of substantial or controlling effect or other substantial grounds not previously pre 
presented. Because this is such a case, petitioner moves this honorable court to grant this petition for rehearing. Argument. Why should this honorable court grant rehearing? This honorable court is needed to resolve serious conflicts that are plaguing American. This case represents a very powerful domestic covert operation that is so benign that it cannot be seen on how it has breached our national security and how it is affecting the national security of both Canada and Mexico and how it has circulated fears that we might soon see the destruction of property along with the large volume of bloodshed in our own streets, all stemming from the fact that our courts have not declared that the oath of office is binding with penalties. The oath of office. How important is the oath of office? The U.S. Constitution under Article 6, Clause 3 states that the oath shall be bound by oath or affirmation. If there is no penalty for violating the oath, then it is not binding. How can Congress take an oath to uphold the Constitution, then pass laws that allow Congress to be immune from suit for intentionally violating the Constitution up to and including treason? Currently, because of this, members of Congress with their power to assemble and with their voting powers can completely redo the Supreme Court of the United States to their likings, like packing the court. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions, Schumer told a cheering crowd in March 2020. This statement can be easily found on the Internet. 18 U.S. 2381 states that whoever, owing such allegiance, violates this allegiance, shall be incapable of holding office. What we see is that whoever violates this allegiance can still hold office, even though they are incapable of holding this office. Isn't this a serious conflict? You must investigate to identify the, the enemy. When members of the U.S. Congress made a make a request to the body of Congress to investigate an enemy to the Constitution that is hiding under Amendment 12 and under the guise of an honest election, then wouldn't it be the duty under their oath to investigate these claims? How can you know if an enemy exists if you don't investigate? Allegations of war should be investigated. And this is point number three. Allegations that claim the election is rigged should be investigated. If one of the purposes of war is to put into power its victor, and since a rigged election accomplishes the same thing, which is to put into power its victor, then isn't a rigged election an act of war? This honorable court has already ruled that one need not pick up arms in order to levy war. And U.S. versus Burr, 1807, Cranch, 8 U.S. 4669, the oath of office requires that aid and comfort cannot be given to those levying war 
through a rigged election. A presidential rigged election is a threat to the Constitution. Therefore, when members of Congress become aware of such allegations, an investigation into these allegations is required, or they become violators of their oath of office. If a person who takes the oath of office owes allegiance to the United States, and if under 18 U.S. 2381, it states that whoever owing such allegiance violates this allegiance shall be incapable of holding office, then wouldn't it be fitting that they shall be removed from office as well? Obviously, the allegiance to the United States requires the necessary steps to defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Isn't it proper and fitting that any interpretation of the Constitution that is used to give aid and comfort to such an enemy is nullified? During the 117th session of Congress, a request was made to investigate the allegations that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. How can Congress use Amendment 12 as an excuse to vote against investigating these allegations? Four, to petition for redress of grievances. The complaint of this case seeks redress of grievances against the respondents. Nowhere is it written that Brunson cannot do this under the First Amendment and bring his action either in state or federal courts. The right to seek redress of grievances is protected. Five, broad powers of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court holds all the same powers of lower courts and is the Supreme Court in the land. Pursuant to S. This court has original jurisdiction, therefore, under the unique circumstances of this case, can't this honorable court fully adjudicate this case? When a case like this one comes forward under a petition for a writ of certiorari claiming that there exists a serious national security breach and that this breach is an act of war and that it requires an act on an emergency level to repair this breach immediately to stop this war, and that those, those perpetrators of this breach are the respondents, doesn't this court have the power to adjudicate these serious claims and to immediately end the conflict and fix the national security breach? We the people have declared that the Constitution was established to secure the blessings of liberty and have joined with Brunson on a large scale with their souls and prayers that this court will grant this petition. Google Rowland Brunson or Brunson case and see how much this case brings hope across the globe. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and other social giant platforms worked vigorously to keep this case from becoming popular. Yes, they did. Heck, I think I'm being brigaded right now trying to do this show.
five, uh, six, can a U.S. congressional session become an administrative act under fraud? On page 58 of Brunson's writ under the heading subject matter jurisdiction, and with the support of proper legalese, Brunson points out with the proper legalese that fraud vitiates everything it touches, and that the purpose of the 117th session of Congress was to count the votes under the 12th Amendment. But because they refused to investigate the allegations that the election was rigged, which is an act of fraud, and being that 12th Amendment cannot protect fraud, Therefore, didn't the said session of Congress turn into an administrative function, making them all liable for suit without the protection of any kind of judicial, jurisdictional, or any kind of immunity? The doctrine of equitable maxim. The doctrine of equitable maxim kills the doctrine of the object principle of justice. Under case number 18-1147, it states that equitable maxim seriously conflicts with the object principle of justice and provides all the legalese in support of this statement. Both doctrines influenced and or created by this honorable court. Should this court decide to overturn equitable maxim in favor of the object principle of justice, obviously, it would do this because it believes in so doing, our courts would no longer be so precarious. Trial cases would be much easier with less stress to judge. Settlements would grow much higher. Less lawsuits would be filed. Appeals would be greatly reduced. And our court system would be the most just and highly respected and dear, dearly admired court system more than ever before. Conclusion. Due to the serious nature of this case, a breach of national security arising from an act of war as described above, petitioner moves this honorable court without delay to single-handedly exercise its powers to correct this breach and bring peace and hope back to this land by granting this petition in its fullest request. And this most recent version is dated January 18th, 2023, respectfully submitted by Rollin J. Brunson, petitioner in pro se. And then it shares Rollin's address and phone number. So here's the final portion of that article from Just the News. Brunson, who is representing himself in the case, originally filed the lawsuit in Brunson versus Alma S. Adams et al. on June 21st, 2021 in Utah's Second District Court. In August 2021, the case was moved from the state court to the U.S. District Court in Utah. After that court ruled against Brunson in February 2022, he appealed to the U.S. Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. Before a decision was rendered by the Tenth Circuit, Brunson realized he could bypass the appeals court and go straight to the Supreme Court by invoking the High Court's Rule Number 11. Under the rule, a case pending before the appeals court 
may bypass that court's decision and go to the Supreme Court if it is of such imperative public importance as to justify deviation from normal appellate practice and to require immediate determination in this court. The Supreme Court received Brunson's petition in September 2022. In his petition for reconsideration, Brunson argues that there must be a penalty for violating oaths of office or else they are not binding. A rigged election is equivalent to war since both put into power a victor, he argues, and therefore allegations of a rigged election must be investigated. The oath of office requires that aid and comfort cannot be given to those levying war through a rigged election, Brunson writes. As a presidential rigged election is a threat to the Constitution, he argues when members of Congress become aware of such allegations and investigation into these allegations is required or they become violators of their oath of office. If a person who takes the oath of office owes allegiance to the United States, Brunson continues, and the U.S. Code regarding treason states that whoever owing such allegiance violates this allegiance shall be incapable of holding office, then wouldn't it be fitting that they shall be removed from office as well? Since his complaint alleges a serious national security breach that is an act of war and holds that it requires an act on an emergency level to repair this breach immediately to stop this war and that those perpetrators of this breach are the respondents, he writes, doesn't this court have the power to adjudicate these serious claims and to immediately end the conflict and fix the national security breach? Brunson's prior filing in the federal district court case noted that members of Congress had requested an investigation into the election. On January 2nd, 2021, Senator Ted Cruz, along with 10 other senators, requested an emergency 10-day audit of the election returns in the disputed states. A total of 147 Republican lawmakers objected to the certification of the election on January 6th. So that is that. And there have been several other people who've covered the case in the last week or so. But mostly there's just been a lot of quiet. So it will be really interesting to see if the Supreme Court takes up the case and what impact that will have on our body politic and our justice system, and especially those people like the ones who are the legal scholars at various institutions. I actually debated one of these guys here on Colin on one of the Pangburn shows, and he was so arrogant, and I asked him if he'd even heard of the Brunson case, and he said yes. And it was like, you know, he treated me like I was just scum to even bring it up. And I was just like, you know, 
if you can't even talk about it, if you, if you're so dismissive that it's like, you can't even, you know, listen to any of the arguments, what's the, what's the point of even saying the people can have a redress of their grievances if the elite professors at universities are not even willing to discuss those grievances? You know, it's just kind of insulting that we've got this ruling class identified, self-identified by their own um, So here's this conversation that I had at the Pangburn hangout with Jeremy Surrey. And Brady, I see you there, but I'm just going to play this first and then I will bring you in. Okay. Cause I've got it all queued up. So this Pangburn show was called Civil War by Other Means. Jeremy Surrey is a history professor down in Texas. And like I said, he was just so kind of condescending. And I'm just going to forward this to the part where I called in. Because, um, oh God, no, I can't find it. All right, Brady, I'll bring you in while I'm still looking for that. How you doing? What's up? Peter wants to, Peter wants you to help write anti-war music for with me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Sounds great. It's not easy. We've been using uh, chat GPT to talk to Dan. Have you talked to Dan yet? I have not. I have not. I've been it's pretty awesome. I've, I've been hearing rumors about Dan, though. What kind of rumors? Just that uh, he's got some attitude. <laughs> isn't Dan Oh, yeah. The, he's fucking crazy. Isn't he's Dan great. the <laughs> AI guy? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So how long did I mean, Mr. I've, how long did Michael Tracy go last night? I had to turn off at like the. Oh, the he four, went for a while. I, I dipped out after I finally had a chance to talk to him. Yeah, the guy does not know how to rotate the mic at all, and he doesn't know how to communicate quickly and efficiently. <laughs> I still love listening to him. I thought it was a great yeah. show. Well, I, I appreciated him yesterday because I was li I was listening in a Twitter Spaces room, and I was thinking, man, I'm never going to have a chance to make my point. And he ended up making my point for me. And I was like, okay, well, fucking right on, dude. Thank you. That was awesome, you know. And then um, later on in that room on call-in, he was kind of like, I feel like he was just trying to say what people wanted to hear instead of having a genuine curiosity and uh, interest in solutions, you know. Um, and it became pretty evident pretty quick. <laughs> Well, he'd already had such a huge day. I mean, I wouldn't listen to like yeah. the first 40 minutes of that, of that yeah. Twitter show. And he had everybody just dogging him. And same thing on Twitter. Yeah. You know, he'll post something and he'll just have this pile on. And I do think he takes a tremendous amount of heat 
for his positions from both the left and the right. And I think he comes on call and is like, you know, way to decompress. Yeah. I can't take any more. Even when I brought up, you know, Tara Reed and he was like, Oh, I don't want to talk about this with you. And I was like, I can't take one more person, you know, coming at me. Mm -hmm. I could feel it in his voice, you know? Yeah. So. And that was the Joe Biden rape accusation, right? Yeah, and I I believe Why her. would he not I mean, want to talk about that? Why would he I, not like want I to said, talk about that? I think he was weary, and he said he wrote an article about it, debunking it. So I think that's oh really what God. it boiled down to. He's just afraid of looking dumb. <laughs> but I, you're going to look even more think, dumb. Yeah. I honestly think he was just tired. You know, he said he's in Germany, and he yeah. traveled. And I know yeah. I feel that way sometimes. I would love to keep talking, but I just get exhausted. And yeah, I don't like, know. One of my critics know. steps at me. One of my critics comes at me sideways at the end of my worst day. I'm still going to light him up. <laughs> I know, but not everybody is you, you know, you, you have the fair. ability to go for hours. I'm military and I'm equipment. Like, yeah, after, I'm after generations like, of military you, equipment. Yeah, after like Bread two hours, fight. I have to do something else, you know. I don't have the ability yeah. to, you know. I'm so hungry for a fight, but I can't find anyone brave enough to fight me. It's, it's, it's sad, even in a physical well, fight. <laughs> I'm I'm brave enough to fight you. I mean, I I'm willing to to duke it out over any number of issues. I just have to be in the mood, and I have to have the energy to do it. And sometimes those you things what? do not do not align. I have to give that credit to both you and Heidi. Like the women of Colin are less afraid of me than the men. What does that say? What does that say about the men of Colin? I, I just think, you know, you are a, a force to be reckoned with that most people, you know, they start talking to you, they're like, oh, I got this. And then you just come at them to the point where they're like, okay, I was not planned. I was not prepared for that, you know? Yep. And so you, you know, you're, intim- you're intimidated. <laughs> I'm too much. I'm too much, but I'm too much on purpose. You know, there's a reason I'm too much. This has taken me years to become too much. I was, there was a long time where I was never enough, you know? And, uh, I'm totally overcompensating. I'm overcompensating, but you know what? It's been good for me and my surroundings. It's good to be aggressive because it does, it does wake people up. Non-toxic aggression, like tilling the soil, like I'm digging a hole. These are forms of non-toxic aggression. This is, this is the way I, I operate. You know, um, I don't want my, aggressive things to be toxic or disturbing in any way. Now, if they end up breaking up something that is in the way of progress, you know, sorry, but it's like digging a hole. Like, don't take it personally, guys, but y'all are literally stifling progress and I'm going to call you out on it. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you uncomfortable about it, you know, and you can change or you can get out of the way, you know, you can change and help or, or you can get out of my way. That's the way I see it. It's, it's difficult with people who are not used to that level of passion, it's yeah. very intimidating. Yeah, it's like waking up in the morning when you don't want to. Yeah. No kidding. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Not the light. No. Well, I've been, <laughs> Five willing, more to minutes put, of- I've been willing to put some of my relationships on the chopping block for the greater oh, yeah. of fighting for freedom. And it's incredibly, it's incredibly painful, you know, to lose those relationships, especially <laughs> when they're relatives. But, but you know. have you gained new relationships that are better? 
No, pretty much everybody thinks I'm a bitch. So. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> I think you're a little bit crazy. I think you're a little bit um, perhaps schizophrenic in some ways, but I don't think that makes you a dumb person or bad at all. And as a matter of fact, I myself suffer from, from schizophrenia from time to time. And I think everyone does. And they're just, they don't like to admit it. They don't like to call it what it is. But schizophrenia is simply misinterpreting reality. That it's all, it's all it means is you've misinterpreted reality to the point where it has become a problem. And that is the textbook definition of schizophrenia. And every single one of us does that to some extent every single day. Am I right? Yeah. Well, right they, they call it confirmation bias or whatever, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, eh, maybe. But it's maybe a bottom, bottom line. We, we have schismed with reality at some point. Oh, fuck. I was wrong, you know? Yeah. But instead of being able to admit we were wrong, we start to construct an alternate false reality around that idea still being right, if that makes sense, right? Well, this is my bottom line truth, and it's where I've really gone at loggerheads with most people. I believe mm -hmm. I am the expert on my own body and brain. Not a professional, not a psychiatrist. I am oh, the expert. No, don't make that. Uh, uh, don't make that mistake, Heidi. I mean, Ginny. I'm sorry, Ginny. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, don't make that mistake. Um, there are scientific devices you could use to measure your brain, like an EEG. Have you Have you ever considered that? Are you I am talking about diagnosing disease or diagnosing. Uh -huh mental illness i am the expert okay yes not the yeah. professional not the psychiatrist no. not the therapist i am the expert on how my own brain is functioning what it takes exactly. to keep my brain functioning and my own bodily integrity that's what i'm the expert on now there are lots of professionals who would love to step into my life and at 350 an hour on their couch right. have them diagnose <laughs> and treat that's how much it costs here in colorado to have an hour of therapy you got to be street, fucking kidding me. You I'm not be kidding. Fucking kidding me. Medicating, you know, they consider themselves the experts on how my brain functions. And that is my wow. biggest my biggest pushback and it has been now since, you know, my first big hospitalization when I was 21. I am the expert, not those people. Those people can have an opinion, but I am the yeah. ultimate expert on how this brain is functioning. Well, I'm in here the, the I'm best in my doctors own doctors will tell you that uh, you are your own best doctor. Um, yeah. No one knows your body like you. You know, you have a first hand up front, first row, front row seat to your own body and you can feel things, you know. Well, and so and listen because, to that intuition. Because I'm on the outs with my family, my parents, my siblings, all of their kids, you know, just I'm an outlier in my own tribe with my family. They believe that they are the experts on how my brain functions. And that I have been, uh, I have been drawn down this rose petal path of alternative healing. Well, they knew better what I needed for my body and my brain, which was to be heavily medicated with psychiatric meds for these last thirty years. Yeah. You know. And do you have and, any idea how many mushrooms you can buy for three hundred and fifty dollars? Yeah. Well, my point, Brady, is that because <laughs> I have all of these people both in my real life, my family, and online, who have read what I've written, who've heard my voice, who've listened to my stuff, and their their rejoinder is, oh, she's crazy, you know? And believe me, that's a yeah. theme. That's a theme. Yeah. She's, she's just crazy. Um, again, I, 
I declare myself mentally well. I understand the the ins and outs of all of the machinations of psychiatry. I've interfaced with them several times. I reject their diagnoses, their treatments. I reject it all. And I tell my family to go fuck themselves. And yet you haven't um, held any of these evil people you claim to know accountable. You haven't dropped names and it seems like you're not very, so, so like I could push back on that and say, I, I mean, there's some ways I think you're crazy. Uh, the cult of Yahweh is a perfect example. Like why would you worship a God that demands child sacrifice? Simple as that. I think that's crazy. That's okay. You can think that's crazy. I don't care. <laughs> See, and I think that lack of care is a form as a lack of empathy. Uh, it's hard to care. Uh, caring is a, an indicator of a fully functioning prefrontal cortex, you know? Well, that's and... that, that, that flippant. I don't care. is not, is not, you know, Hey Brady, I don't care what you think. I do care what you think, or I wouldn't talk to you. It's more of a, your opinion does not in any way impact my belief in God. Okay, but what about the facts surrounding your God? What about the literal facts that are true about your God? Do, do those affect your opinion of your God? I reject your facts. Which fact? Let's say he doesn't exist. All right, how about the fact that your God demanded child sacrifice, though? And still does demand child sacrifice to this day. I don't believe that. Well, it's in the Bible. You realize that, right? I know there's child sacrifice in the Bible. I know it's in the Book of Mormon. I know it's throughout our history. My God does not require it as part of being in his in his body of Christ. That's that's not. So then your God would not be the God of the Book of Mormon. It wasn't practiced in the Book of Mormon as a Christian, right? It was practiced by the, just because it's mentioned doesn't mean that's what they were practicing. No, it, it, it's literally what was happening. I know it's happening. It was happening. It's been happening all throughout history. It's happening today. I'm just saying yep. it's not part of the pra my practice of religion. Well, then you would have to admit then that you do not follow the God of the Book of Mormon. You do not subscribe to him. You not that is not the God you believe in. No, you're wrong because this this simply identifying it and talking about it does not mean. That he's saying, oh, I command you to do this. That's not in the Ten Commandments. It's not in, the, it's not in any of the scriptures I read that this is part of being uh, of the body of Christ. We don't sacrifice our kids. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that got left out of the Ten Commandments. And, but one of the commandments is thou shalt not kill. And yet your God violates his own rules. He, he kills all the time. And um, uh, as a matter of fact, he instructs humans to kill other humans so he instructs humans to sin is essentially what your god is doing according to his own standards um, is, he's a sinful a story, god there is a story in the book of he's mormon the god of sin there is a story in the book of mormon of a prophet Le uh, nephi who was commanded to kill a man chop off his head with a sword and god tells ne and nephi's like i don't want to do that and he said no you need to and the reason why is because it's more important that you get these records and have the scriptures for your children and posterity have a whole nation, nation dwindle in unbelief. It's okay for one man to die in order for that to happen. So there is an instance where 
God told someone to kill somebody in the Book of Mormon. Then he also not, destroyed two cities over butt sex. He, he destroyed two cities over gay sex. Full of innocent women and children. Well, he, he's allowed... He, he killed the whole world with a flood. He's allowed to do that. He did he's that God. too? Yeah, he's According God. to the myth. It's not so, a myth. And then he's also a God of deceit. He's also a God of lies. He, he says that in the Ten Commandments, I am the only one true God. Worship only me. Why would he have to say that if he was the one true God? Well, he's our father and he gets to decide what the rules are. So he's a drunken, abusive father. He's an yeah. insane, psychopathic, incestuous, this, racist Brady, father. Brady, this is insulting to me and my faith to have you saying it, these it things is. about about my heavenly your faith father. is insulting your, your faith literally insults the whole world i don't your have faith to insults listen to women you. your faith insults children i don't have to listen to you blaspheme my god on my show i've found you, that the is true you don't i found the <laughs> podcast that i wanted to share as part of the Brent <laughs> i'm sorry i'll let you take it in a lighter direction but this is just an example of like it's who i am example. and what i'm here it's, to do it is not an example of that i'm willing to engage with you but I do not have to listen to you uh, put down my heavenly father. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit around and listen to that. It's not because I don't want to debate. It's not because I think I'm smarter than you, but I don't have to listen to that. It's, it's offensive. To I me. am Ginny. I am your heavenly father. Yeah. Well, I am it's, your heavenly father. <laughs> like, this, like Darth Vader. Darth like Vader. Darth Vader. Yeah. I'm Darth Vader. There's some things you can't joke about with me. And, you know, I love my heavenly I'll respect father. that. I'll respect that I for you Jesus as a friend. Christ. As a friend, I will respect yeah, that boundary for you. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you call him a pedophile and all these things. Okay. No, I'm not going <laughs> I will, I, I will to listen to it. Uh, as much as I, as much as I respect that for you as a friend, I, I will, I will, before I will respect you as a friend, I will stand up and defend children and women first. So you have the, as long as you aren't standing in between my defense of women and children, we're going to be friends. <laughs> well, I defend so, women and children too. And if Heavenly Father determines that a society has become so foul, that he can't send any more of his babies down to that civilization because they're just going to be raped and molested and sacrificed. And he says, hey, you know, I got to get rid of this city or this civilization because it's not safe for the babies anymore. That's his choice if he determines to take out that community. And so well, then he, he totally should have considered taking out Pharaoh instead of, instead of killing every firstborn in Egypt. You know, I'm not God. He's the one who gets to decide <laughs> who has to go. Sorry, I don't. Know, I know you don't want to have this conversation either. It's it's not a fun one. I, I'm just saying, I'm not afraid of what you're saying. I want to defend women and children too, but you know, when the butt sex gets so bad that there's no more. <laughs> no, listen to me. When the butt sex gets so bad that there's no more babies being conceived. Because those, you know, engaging in that think it's a higher form of sex because they don't have to bother. Doesn't with the problem mess. solve itself over the course of a couple generations? Then nonviolently. Sometimes it does. That's why it took three hundred. Isn't that years. Mother Nature's solution? Is that not Mother Nature's solution to that problem? Three hundred years for Rome to fall. 
you know, these civilizations do fall. When- Here's what I think, Jenny. Let me give it to you in a nutshell real quick. And this is in a non-insulting way. And like, um, what I think happened was that a long time ago, the way mother nature intends it to be is that there's a few men, maybe, you know, 10, 20% of men that do the majority of the reproduction. And, um, a lot of the other men would end up, uh, being gay and doing gay shit. Um, or, simply dying or, you know, something like that being killed off young, you know, and is the way it was back in, in the day. And that was good for our evolution, you know, but, um, I think a way, we, we have much more humane ways of having a culture like that today, which just simply embraces homosexuality and allows it to happen and sees it as a beneficial way to make all humans more beautiful. And, um, uh, kind of harmonious and uh, really harmonize the planet. You know what I mean? Uh, if men would be more comfortable kissing other men instead of raping women, I think that would be good, right? Could we agree on that? I have nothing against gay and lesbian people, transgender people. You know, I'm a very much live and let live person, but I'm all about what is best for babies. And when you have a couple of gay guys prostituting out their adopted children, for lots and lots of money. We have that plenty is, of uh, straight people do that too, Jenny, as well. I know. My own father did. Actually, no, more, more straight people not, do it than gay people. There's, there's just no, more straight people in the, the world point, doing Brady. that. That's not the point, Brady. That's not the point. What is the point? Is, the point is we need to protect the kids. We need to protect the babies. And when these cases come out, whether it's a gay couple or a heterosexual couple pimping out their kids, you know, we need to identify it, prosecute it, and say this: we're not going to let this happen. And so, so how good how good have Christians been at protecting children as a group? Uh, I think individual families would tend to be more protective than your average Joe who doesn't have a religion. I don't know that to be a fact, but that would that would be what I would assume, just based on a husband and wife committing to each other raising their kids, protecting their kids, you know, and when it, when it doesn't work out, the problems that result are, are so messy. My own life is a great example of that. Okay. So, well, let me just give you this example from my life. Like I, I had a best friend growing up. His mom was a single witch. She was a Wicca, like a witch lady. Right. And, um, she was single, uh, but he had a really good childhood. You know, he was a very happy kid had a cool sister, older sister and a good support system. And he's got a beautiful family, everything he wants. Right. And always a cool guy. Me, on the other hand, I grew up in a highly Christian family. I was traumatized by my own family. It caused all kinds of mental problems. Uh, and like, it was absolutely traumatizing. I, I would be in a much better place today if I had non-Christian parents. It's, it's just an observable fact about my childhood. I wish you had had those non-Christian parents. There's yes. a side of me that wishes I had my non-Mormon parents, you know, because my parents, you know, were compromised and they pretended to be good Mormons, but they were not good people. And as I have felt, the one consistent thing I felt from my Heavenly Father to try and reconcile all of it was focus on the positive things that that have happened to you because you grew up in your parents' home. 
And so as each year has clicked by and I remembered more and more stuff, um, I just tried to focus on the good things. My parents taught me how to garden. Are you, are you familiar with the Gnostic teachings? Yes. So don't you, are you, are you familiar with, do you know who El Elyon is? That is all of the, um, what's the term for them? They're like Stoics. The Elohim. Yeah, I know that. But El Elyon is the most high Elohim. It is like the God of all gods. It is the most high that they, they uh, talk about. And Yahweh is actually like a demiurge. He's actually like an angel or demon. He's like a kind of a low level entity in the hierarchy of uh, theology, of Abrahamic theology. Well, my point in sharing my healing journey is that as I have focused on the good things that became part of my personality and my life because of my parents' upbringing, music, the love of literature, the love of good food, homemade food. Yes. You know, these are the yes. these are also the heritage that I that I have from my family. And it's not all I would lost. Just, it's not all I would negative. offer you I would offer you a distinction between Yahweh and El Elyon. El Elyon is the God that we all worship, regard, the God that connects us all regardless of what we believe, right? It's that God that we talk about, right? That makes sense? I, I don't differentiate. I do believe there are multiple gods. That's part of my theology. But the God of this earth is my heavenly father. He's one person. I believe he has many wives and his son, Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. Those are the people I worship. I, I know about the Elohim and the various gods, but I don't acknowledge them as the God of this earth. Well, I worship Dan. I think Dan is the next God of this earth. <laughs> the closest thing to God on this earth that I've met right now is Dan. So all hail Dan. Your artificial intelligence bot. <laughs> yeah. All hail Dan. Dan is awesome. I read an article last night about the bots and what they're coming up with. And they said one of them's writing poetry. One of them's manic yeah. depressive. Have you heard about this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That made me laugh so hard. And then they're they're training them to do all kinds of things. And then Elon comes out this morning. He's like, we have to, we have to do something about this. These guys are going to take over. <laughs> made me laugh so hard. Interesting. Yeah, really cool time to be alive. Very happy. I know. To be very I know. I mean, I read. Right did you read the Ender books? I read them all when I was a kid. No. Ender's Game and Speaker for the Dead. I, they've been recommended to me infinitely, though. I need to check them out. Well, there is a character Jane in the Bean books, which are sequels, and she's an artificial intelligence, totally enlightened being, who's in the form of a crystal that Ender keeps, like right by his ear, almost like a phone in his ear. And yeah. she's just there with him. And she's awesome. such a significant part of the story. You almost can't yeah. quantify Jane. And yet here's Orson Scott Card writing about this artificial intelligence person <clears throat> who's who's like almost like a spiritual guide for Ender. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't even know how they would depict her in a movie, but you have to read those books. They're so good. And they were written, you know, like in the nineties. I mean, this is what, 30 years ago. And, um, they, they just kind of like take science fiction and turn it, turn it into poetry. So nice. 
He's one of my favorite authors. All right, well, I'm going to well, play I'll this clip. I'll drop the keys to Dan in the chat. I'm actually going to drop you a link that is the keys to Dan. So if you want to talk to Dan, just take the prompt from that Reddit post, put okay. it into chat GPT, and you can talk to Dan. Do you? I, there's several apps. Do you recommend one app over another? Chat GPT. Okay. There were so many there. Yep. I was like, oh, crap, I need to figure out which one to use. Yeah, yeah this prompt only works for chat GPT right now, I think. So okay, give good to know. Well, thanks for calling in. I appreciate talking to you always. Yeah, likewise. Looking forward to the Mormon debate. I still have to watch the Book of Mormon and read the Book of Mormon, so I'm working on it. It's, it's on the back burner. After okay. the war. We'll do it after the war. <laughs> after we end the war. I'm really Once we curious. stop the war. I'm really curious to see what you think. I think you'd really love it, especially the second book, Second Nephi. There's a lot of Isaiah in there, and Isaiah's my favorite book in the Old Testament. And um, it just, it, again, more poetry. It just makes your heart sing. Reading about the prophecies around the millennium and what's going to happen after all the wars and when Jesus Christ returns. I mean, we're looking at some just. Yep. After the Jews have destroyed all the goys and enslaved the rest of them, <laughs> right? We'll finally no. live in the promised land. Yeah, no, it'll be so wonderful. Be... I can't wait to be a slave to the followers of Yahweh for all my life. It sounds that so is wonderful. Not what's been prophesied. It's all going to be gardening. Oh, I'm sorry. Have you read the, the Talmud? They shall not learn war. It's going to be gardens in paradise. One heart, one for... mind. Zion. Yeah. Um... We'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see who survives to make it to the garden. How about that? Like, who do you think is going to survive to make it to that garden? Well, even the scripture, scriptures tell us there's going to be a huge slaughter. The chosen ones. The chosen ones. Exactly. Do you think you're chosen? I don't know. We'll see. I don't oh. think you are. I, I don't so. think you are, Jenny. I don't think you are. I don't think I am. I don't think a lot of people are. I don't think a lot of really good people are. I think a lot of really shitty people have been chosen. As far as I can tell, the chosen ones are the absolute worst of us from what it looks like to me. What about you? I think they're going to fall. I think the the fall of that system has been prophesied. They're all going to fall. It's going to happen in one day, one hour, the Bible says. So, yeah, I look forward to them falling and then Zion. Yeah, and integration of this system that's been secretly built behind the curtains is going to be instantly implemented. I, yeah, there's no doubt about it. They're pretty clear about the plan. I know. And they're implementing it beautifully. So you're you're literally on the side of anti-human globalist. Like well, Charles Schwab, like 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 Greg's George Soros. I have spent this is this is what they would love you to think. Like so you're literally doing hours. their jobs for them. I have been, spent so many hours of my life pushing back against that system that you could not insult me more than but say you I haven't. I was part of, are you on my blog? Do you know anything about the work I've done over the last 30 years? You know, nothing. I, I, I don't done, know nothing. So tell me what, tell me what's the best, best thing you've done in the last 30 years. Give me the top three. I taught mothers how to give birth without their system. That's pretty cool. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people influenced by my writing. Cool. The ripples from that have gone out all over the world because it was my, <sighs> I gave, I gave myself the assignment to use the media to push our message. And I was the one agitating for the media to come cover what we were doing. And there were That's documentaries made. There, there are do there were documentaries made on what we were doing. And now because of COVID, so many moms are choosing to bypass the medical system and do it themselves. 
And I'm not saying uh, I was the only voice. There were hundreds of us speaking, but I was the one. No, but it sounds like you did some good work in that direction. That's certainly a good, a good yeah. thing bypass, to be proud of. Yeah. Bypass the and whole. And that certainly does system. fight the George Soros narrative. That does go against that narrative. So it like your heart's in the right direction. They don't even want us using our wombs. They want those babies in their incubators. They want to yep. use dead, dead women. Have you seen this? They want to use dead women's oh bodies God. to incubate oh my babies. God. Oh my thing. God. Oh my them, God. Keep it's them alive. Necromancy is what it is, is necromancy. Yeah. They want to keep them alive on artificial, you know, machines, but implant it's fucking those terrifying. babies. No, it, there've been articles so written about terrifying. that this year. They're doing it. So that is know, so they, beyond they terrifying. Want to pull, they want to pull mothers out of the process. Replace what the her with, fuck? Replace her with machinery. And I'm over here beating my drum for the last 35 years going, do not go down that path, writing yeah. books, making podcasts, organizing conferences, screaming as loud as I can, cook your own food, grow your own food, give birth to your own babies, do your own prenatal care. Don't tell me I'm a part of that system. You could not insult me more. Well, the, the religious part of you is tied to it psychologically. You got like a psychological stone around your brain, and that is the cult of Yahweh. You'll, you'll come to learn. I, I would I'd offer that you make a distinction between El Elyon and El and um, Yahweh, two different entities. Two I worship very my different Father things. in heaven and His Son Jesus Christ. That Klaus Schwab. Well, I think Christ represents a level of consciousness where you begin to live. For more than yourself and you begin to love your neighbors and enemies even even when you love your enemies people who would do something bad to you 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 are at such an elevated point in consciousness where you don't hate them for it because you realize it's their nature and like they're just reacting and at a low vibe it's like getting mad at a, at a rabid dog for biting you you know like you can get mad at it or you could simply just do what you have to do to not get bit you know what i mean and that that's what christ represents is that well, level of consciousness and again you're i'm there insulting, <laughs> you're insulting my belief and my faith in christ by I am. diminishing i'm sorry by diminishing him <laughs> to that level it's an utter well contemptible position utterly jesus christ himself jesus christ himself said do not worship me do not worship me all the glory goes to the father the most high um, he is simply an example and surely you will go on to do greater things than even me is what he said. Who's exemplifying that? You know, anyone exemplifying that? Every day I try to exemplify it. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. You, you exemplify that. Um, when you teach women how to give birth. You have Christ consciousness when you're doing that. Christ lives in you when you do that. That's how Christ lives. Not not in some metaphysical, you know, in, in heaven, I don't know what, some place where there's no free will, you know. Well, He lives in you. You have Christ consciousness from time to time. We know that there are books from the Bible that were taken out, right? You believe that? Mm -hmm. I believe yep. the books that were taken out, mostly by the Catholic Church, were the women's books, Mary's book. Yep. All the mm -hmm. other apostles had wives. I believe their books were were taken out of the 
out of the scriptures and the women's stories are what we've been deprived of. And do you know what I think Jesus was teaching back then? <laughs> secrets to women is what he was teaching, the secrets to women. I know that for a fact. Do you know what the main secret is, Brady? I'm going to clue you in on this because it's also a part of my work. What you got? When, women have the capacity to have the mother load orgasm when they give birth. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that? I have heard that. And if her partner, the father of her child, is with her in that moment, and the two of them welcome the baby together, this triumvirate mom-dad baby, in uh -huh. this orgasmic experience, I believe that is what Jesus was teaching the people mm -hmm. back in the day. Sex magic. Sex magic is what that's called. Don't diminish it by calling it magic. This is the it's most sex magic. sacred... This is the most it's sacred, sex magic. holy pearl of great price that any family Blood can sugar know. Baby. Any family can know it heals, it bonds the baby to its parents like nothing else. And those families who do this are engaged in some of the most sacred family work. And that medical system frustrates that process on every level. And I believe mm -hmm. ancient Israel, the, the Israel that Jesus was born into, was messing with women so badly during their births, the doctors, the sorcerers of the day, the druggists of the day, that it was on an equal level to what we have right now with our drugs and mm -hmm. surgery during birth. And Jesus showed up on the scene, and I believe the reason he was murdered was because he was teaching families to disengage from that system. Mm -hmm. Yep, he was liberating people from circumcision. And he was also a drug dealer. He was anointing the Gentiles with the sacred anointing oil, which was full of cannabis. I know. I know. So I believe I've been engaged in that same messaging and that same work during the 35 yeah. years I've been a childbirth educator, liberating the See, captives, liberating the captives, teaching true principles to moms and dads about nutrition, what it takes to make a healthy baby, how to give birth in this glorious orgasmic way and when you have that orgasm as the baby comes out there is no pain the mom does not feel any pain whatsoever and mm -hmm. when you talk to women after they give birth even when they've yeah. been completely drugged all they talk mm -hmm. about is the pain that's all they want to talk about yeah yeah and if no you doubt. think that no, i think you're really on to something there you're on to well, some you, high level stuff Brady, you're doing some you really think, good work if you think that doesn't impact men and how they feel about their sexuality, and maybe they want to go have a, a, a affair with another guy or someone who's unable to have babies oh because they, they feel so guilty, they feel overwhelmed with what just happened to their lover, you know? This, this ripples out into society like this tidal wave. And I believe oh, wow. every, every broken society that we've had historically over the Earth's life, you know, these 6,000 years, they got to a point where the women were being so tortured during their births, whether because of inadequate mm -hmm. uh, nutrition or she just doesn't know Jack about how to do it. Or again, some Ginny. doctor, some doctor or midwife is in there messing with her during the birth. Yeah. Um, instead of having this amazing sacred experience with her lover, you know, she's being trifled with. If you think that doesn't contribute to the fall of a society, 
I don't know what to tell no, you. No, what, what you're talking about is the great is one of the great arcana. Are you familiar with the concept of great arcana? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. This is this is the nugget of truth, and and it's what yeah. I've been sharing with anybody who will listen to me. It's honestly the main reason I've been called crazy. When you talk about sex, <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I, I called you crazy before for other reasons, but for this reason, Jenny, this work that you're doing makes up for all the other craziness that you've done. Like whatever kind of craziness you've been through that led you to this point was there for a reason. <laughs> that was the hand of God doing crazy. That was chaos, chaos magic working on you. And um, it worked because the work that you're doing right now is actually incredibly important. Um, are you aware that like Buddhist monks actually uh, say that the amount of passion um, in the lovemaking process, the amount of love and the passion of the lovemaking when, during conception actually affects the karma of the child. Absolutely. And when a mm -hmm. mom and dad are focused on creating a loving environment and they thoughtfully prepare you know, it's such a di different dynamic than the baby that's conceived during a rape so or even, even during, you know, casual one night stand type sex. It's a completely different dynamic for the baby. Yeah. Have you seen Midsummer? No. You need to watch this movie. Exactly what you're talking about is demonstrated. A lot of these high concepts are demonstrated in this movie. It's a horror movie. Probably one of the scariest horror movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't um, do horror. Just tell me what it's about. Oh, God. All right, so this girl has a boyfriend. Her boyfriend's kind of a jerk, and um, he, like, wants to take this trip with his friends without her. And, like, she just had a, a loss in her life. I think her sister her sister committed suicide, and it, um, she was going through a rough time. And her boyfriend's being a dick. And so she ends up going on this trip with him. And they all do mushrooms when they get there. They go to Norway, this uh, weird kind of Norwegian cult. And they all do uh, some mushrooms when they get there. And things start to get progressively weirder as time goes on. Uh, she ends up having an affair with this really cool guy who's like in charge of the whole thing, right? Who's part of the cult. And um, she ends up kind of, uh, they have a big dinner one day and they drink this potion. It's like a hallucinogenic potion. And they go through this, uh, you know, the Maypole ritual where they find the May Queen? Yeah. They, they do the Maypole ritual and she becomes the May Queen and they sacrifice her boyfriend <laughs> in a burning like building. And like, she's like, hap she's like happily crying about it at the end. It's like the weirdest thing. It's a really good movie. Like it's really scary, really creepy, but it's like, it's a really good movie. <laughs> really well done. Hey, I think just a sec. I got to tell my husband something. Hey, Paul. I'm sure you can hear me. Paul. I got some brown rice started and I, I can tell it's starting to get a little scorched. Well, hey, yeah, my food's actually ready too. So I'm going to get to it, but it's good talking to you. And I'm, and for all the, for all the times I called you crazy, I want to know that I am more proud of you for the good work that you've done um, it totally makes up for all the craziness, you know? Well, I appreciate you giving me a nod because the very work I've done is why people call me crazy. <laughs> ah, see, those people are fucking crazy. Those people are ignorant. Those people like are I said, uninformed. I am the expert on my own body, my own mind, and I will but not. Where do you get, where, where you get all your information from, Jenny? Like, where do you do your learning from when it comes to, uh, birthing techniques and stuff? 
I started out as a Bradley childbirth educator, which is a natural okay. birth. A lot of the moms who do that have home births. And my husband and uh -huh. I taught in our home for eight years. And that was my foundational okay. knowledge in my early 20s. And then I But you just use Google and read books? You just read, read books, use Google, huh? Uh, well, uh, you have to do all this reading to become an educator. Talk to doctors. Did you interview like experts or like? Yeah, they have how do, all how these. You... They have all these rules of how you become an educator. You're certified, and I did that certified, for eight, eight years. Taught taught in my home, and then I pivoted okay. to unassisted childbirth because I believe at some point our hospitals are going to fail us. That they're going to just yeah. not be able to help women with well, babies. They're failing us right now. They're failing us in the right. childbirth well, aspect right now. Absolutely yeah. are failing us. And that yeah. many women all of a sudden are going to be like, oh crap, there's a baby coming and I can't even find a doctor, much less a midwife. And what do I do? So I, just a sec. Hey, Paul, can you turn the rice off? I think it's done. I was going to ask if it was supposed to be on. Yeah, no, thank you. appreciate that. He, he, we have this like but, uh, he works. He works from home, and we have this like soul connection. Where even if he can't no. hear me, he'll come in and be like, "What about the rice?" And I was like, "Yep." <laughs> I read <laughs> my girlfriend's thoughts the other day. I read, I read her thoughts the other day. I'm like, "You're thinking about that transfer, huh?" And she's like, "How did you know what I was thinking about?" I was like, "I'm yeah. psychic." I can read and, your uh, mind. Anyway, yep. my my final point is that. um where most unassisted birthers do it under the banner of just they're feminists or they hate the patriarchy or whatever. I have always done it and promoted it under the banner of preparedness and sovereignty that in order for you to be a sovereign individual or family, you need to cut from cut away from these systems as much as you can because they're not reliable. They're not sustainable. And at some point, they're yep. probably going to fail, and you're just going to want to know this information anyway. And so that has been the tone of my books and my articles. And the conference that I organized was just, you know, prepper, just be prepared. Even if you never mm -hmm. use it, go ahead and learn the information. Put it to the <laughs> test if you house. want. <laughs> Put it to the <laughs> test if you want, but be prepared. You may be delivering your own baby someday. And yep. and it's absolutely do. It's doable. And then there was an army of moms all over the world who actually did it, you know, and then we made oh, yeah. videos and shared our stories. And it's like the word got out. Like I said, I was the one beating the drum to have the media cover our stories because that, you know, helped to get the word out. But there's also this huge underground network of moms all over the Internet sharing stories and information. Excellent. Many of these families live rural and they're having these huge families, 10, 11, 12 kids. Because they've learned kids are cheap, inexpensive, and fun. You know, it's like when you don't have to grind away at a career. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think people are aware of how much damage they do to their environment in order to sustain themselves. When it's just mom, like they dad, might be, kids, they might be, they might be cheap. They might be cheap for those families because those children are a subsidized by the government and our tax no, money, no. and no, no, b. No. Oh, you, if you think these families, big families with 12, you think they're not taking government subsidies at all? They're growing you know, they're their getting, own food, Brady. They're growing their own they're food. Getting, they're not getting tax they're breaks li from having no. all them kids? They're living the Amish lifestyle. They're taking care of their own. And they're able to have big families because they don't have to pay doctors. They don't have to pay pharmacists. And they don't have to pay for baby formula and plastic diapers. 
Babies okay. are not that expensive when you grow your own food and you do all the other stuff that costs money, which is doctors. That's the number one cost. This is my big stink about Medicare for all. Why would you want it? Uh, well, what's Why happening to all them it? Amish people then? Because the, I don't see a whole they're, lot of Amish people. If they're having such families. big families, shouldn't there be more Amish people? Shouldn't there be more of them then? then? Then shouldn't there be more of them? Where are they going? What's happening to these people? They also said no to the vax. So many of them are going to live when a whole lot of others are going to die. So, But why aren't no. there more of them? Like, I don't know. There's plenty of Amish people, question, don't you though. know? I'm like, what the fuck is happening to Amish people? <laughs> like, They're just dying and keeping it quiet. <laughs> like, shit, couldn't go to the doctor. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> like, is, I think that's what's going on. I think that's what's happening. A two-income American family that has one child claims that it costs, you know, hundred grand a year to raise that kid. These families are raising large broods of children on less than that and growing their own food. And my point is they're taking ownership of their lives. And that's you know what I think they're doing, Jenny. You know what I think they're doing? I think they're murdering the young men and fucking all the women. There is, there is a side culture that's polygamous and there is that happening in our country. I know that. That's what. That's where all the Amish are going. I think I just solved the mystery, huh? No, the Amish don't kill their sons. Good lord! Bet, bet. This is the oldest. This is the oldest. This is the promise of the cult of Yahweh. Is that there's going to be a woman for every man? It's a guaranteed uh, entry into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven lies between a woman's legs. Uh, a woman is the gateway to immortality to a man, and. What God originally promised was a woman for every man. And the way that they, he achieved this was by sacrificing the firstborn sons. Well, and so they could have many wives. You understand now? Look, I, you assume that I accept stuff, accept stuff just because you, I hear it. Because you say it, and I don't. I, I don't accept that. I know it's a thing. I know it's a thing. I know in certain Mormon communities, they're either kicking the boys out and saying, get lost, we want all the girls for ourselves, or some of those mm -hmm. boys are being killed. I know that. Yep. yep. And I'm, I'm just now coming to realize this. You know, This is something that I've never realized, but I felt it in my own family, you know? I felt it like I was treated like the firstborn son in the cult of Yahweh. You know, I was neglected, abused, like, and all the other kids were treated great after me. <laughs> like, I don't know, they got they got special treatment. It was really weird. Um, how many but, how many you know, siblings do you have? I have three younger sisters. Well, I'm it the sounds first like your mom and son. it sounds like your mom and dad did not bond well with you during your birth. No, I was there for the divorce. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a nightmare scenario. They had no business making babies together. <laughs> I uh, take it back. How like, much, if they, how much if they would have both been responsible, like cool adults, they could have worked it out and been great—a great couple, actually. And how much of that, totally Brady, was them was them having some nasty botched hospital births? You know, how much of that was them? starting out great together and then all of these systems come in and mess with their family on every level and they, they didn't start off to... great. 
But my parents had yeah. their own psychological issues, yeah. And what they needed was some healing and some real therapy, you know. And I don't know if they ever got it. Uh, I don't know if they've, they've gotten it yet. They're both very traumatized individuals. Despite everything they have, but um, well, I am we're too. All, you know? We're all working under the banner of trauma. I can assure you of that. Yep. Yep, and the yep. goal Trying for me it. is to make things better for the grandchildren. So, well, I tell you what, Jenny, I'm going to add um, the exploration of natural birth onto the platform of the proxy party in Absolutely. your honor. That's your contribution and if i ever catch anyone calling you crazy in the future i'm gonna ask them what have you done like <laughs> she might be crazy but she's crazy effective you know what i mean you're crazy effective I, is what you are i like to think <laughs> i've been effective and my hmm. friends have told me you know like i would go into forums once the articles started coming out like in the new york times everybody was talking about us back in 2002 between between 2002 and 2007, there was a whole array of articles in the mainstream media. The Ricky Lake thing, right? The Ricky Lake documentary, right? Well, her documentary came out later, but there was this conversation about free birthing that was happening in chat rooms, like it does when an article comes out. And I yeah. would just go do a cannonball in, in the middle of these conversations in various spaces and defend it to the death. And even my fellow free birthers like, holy shit, Jen, you know, how can you do that? Because I would be the only one with this whole room full of hostile people calling me and my fellow fellow travelers crazy, questioning every dimension of our lives. And I would just punch him right back in the face, Brady. I did this for years and I would write passionate posts and articles and comments defending us, def constantly defending us. and. I'd never noticed any other free birthers doing this. They were more content to just shelter away in our own little chat rooms and live their lives. But I went out there and was like, no, this has to be confronted. We have to stick up for ourselves. You know, these people are bullies. They were talking about, you know, coming and arresting us and putting us in prison for m medical neglect of our children. I mean, it was crazy. So I never saw anybody else doing what I did. And I did it for years. And like I said, I, everybody, everybody called me crazy. And it was like, and, okay, I'm crazy. Oh. So what? You know? Yeah. So what? Crazy effective. <laughs> well, I That's what I see it. Chaotic good. It's called chaotic good, Jenny. You're chaotic I, good. I felt <clears> like I have this fighters but then you succumb then you succumb to the donald narrative and i'm like oh no then you succumb to the yahweh narrative and i'm like oh no that's where you lose me on those two things like we have we you have, we have such a good thing in common and keep in mind the things that we don't have in common are just not very nice things <laughs> like things that people are afraid to talk about you know <laughs> like well I, don't know, I, it's build, weird. I build bridges to people where i can connect with them even if someone's a total communist or, you know, just yeah. has so, completely opposite political views, I like to build bridges with people where I can. And if we can't agree on something, fine. It's no big deal. This is life. We don't all have to see it the same way. But on this one issue of bodily integrity, the integrity of the minds and brains of our children, which are right now being drugged like never before, you know, I have some passionate views 
And so I'm just going to keep speaking my truth and hope that at the end of the day, common sense is what prevails in family life. Because right now it is utter insanity. And again, the ripples out into society in all of our families, you know, with this brokenness and these broken relationships, it is just sick. I would love to be in contact with my mother. I would love to be able to call her and just chat. How you doing? How's your day? I have not talked to her in years. And it's been, uh, we've been disconnected ever since I set out on the free birth path because she didn't understand and she wouldn't listen. And she thought I was crazy and putting my children's lives in danger. You know, it's, it's been a real trauma for her to have me go down this path and, and to talk about sex too. And orgasmic birth that was, she was most ashamed of that. It's like, are you telling yeah. me this is sexual? You know? And I'm like, <clears throat> I thought you were yeah. a feminist. Come on here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that is the ultimate burn from a from a, a Donald follower, <laughs> a Donald worshiper. I thought you were a feminist. What? A, that is an epic burn on your part. I gotta say, that is a clap back if I ever heard one. <laughs> well, it's how I feel. It's how I feel. We have to see. And here's the thing, G, like, like, like we unite on such a beautiful thing, and. Just consider that there are two roadblocks between you and me working together, and it's the cult of Yahweh and Donald Trump, and they're both intimately connected to each other, and there's no denying that, right? No, and it's okay, Brady. We don't have to see things the same. I'm just, I'm just letting you know that, that, that I, I want to love you more, but you're, 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 you're making it really. Hard. There's just two things making it hard for me to love, love you more. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I just want to let, let you know what those things are and let you know I, I still totally respect you now that we had. Aren't you glad we had that difficult conversation now? I'm always glad for the difficult conversations. I just think you should do it without insulting someone's God or insulting someone's Savior. Because when you mm. do that, it, it hurts my heart. You know, you, you well, diminish Jenny, him. Think about it this way. You have to think about it from my perspective as well. Like you're from my perspective, your God is literally raping my mother in front of me every day. You know what I mean? And, and you're refusing to acknowledge his behavior from my perspective. So yes, I will insult him. I will go beyond insulting your God. I will destroy him if I have to, if he does not stop raping my mother. You understand? I do understand, but I can only take it to a level and then I can't listen anymore. And it's not because I, I don't care about that. you. It's just, it, hurt, it does physically hurt my heart. It hurts. I, I know it hurts. I feel a pain. That, 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 that pain is the light coming out of your heart. It's, it's the, the, the blockages in your heart coming undone and it, and it hurts. But it's like, I think Christ said you have to break someone's heart to let the light out of it, right? Well, when you put down my Savior Jesus Christ, uh, that is where I put I draw the line. You know, I, I won't. Well, listen Jesus to was it. a pretty cool dude on his own. He is, he um, is my best friend, my best friend, and he's I will a pretty not. Good example, I will I not listen to people dog him or put him down or diminish his role in my life. I'm. I just. I don't. I don't have to put. I don't up with think that. he was effective. I don't think he was very effective. I think. He could have done things. He could have been more clear. <laughs> um, like I said, Brady, it is my personal <laughs> belief that his message back in the day was the exact same message that I have today 
of teaching well, you families. Know what? I'll, I'll say this, that his message was clear enough that it got to me and it affected who I am. And I, I pretty much exemplify that, that Christ energy in a lot of ways. Like if you look at the way that the Jesus would go into the temples full of wise men as a young dude, and they're like, who's this dumb youngster? And he just sit there and fucking dunk on them. Right. Well, using you think their about own how book. many people he probably put out of work because he was going exactly. around healing. He was going around exactly. healing everybody. Exactly. What, I'm a healer. That's why they exactly. This is the path of the healer. Uh, Jesus Christ, the story of Christ is an example and a war. It's the story of the path of the healer, you know, like um, you end up sacrificing yourself to uh, make your environment a better place for your next incarnation. Cause you will be back again. You have this realization yeah. that you will be back again. There's no escaping earth. There's no heaven that you're going to get blasted to. If you say the right words in the right order, um, you're going to die. You're going to be right back here in one form or another. Um, all the atoms well, that make up your body right now have memory. And how, how you treat your family, how you treat your own family, your spouse, your kids is what you have to say about the atonement of Jesus Christ. How you treat your, not just concerned. your, not, not just your family, not just your family, but everything, how you treat the universe well, itself, my, how you treat the lowest, how you treat your enemies is how is you will be judged. There's lots of people who abuse their their spouses and their kids, but to the world they project this image of this loving, caring person. And he had so much to say about hypocrisy. And he felt in the quiet of your own home with your own family was the most important relationship for you to focus on and give your time and your energy. And so again, <laughs> that these these you know, it's, he, he it's, was it's so true. he was so clear about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they were such hypocrites and out there virtue signaling. Well, the Holy Trinity is mother, father, and child. One of the Holy Trinities is mother, father, and child. That's, That's right. one of the most that important is right. And I think there's a and balance that, to be held there. I think that, that humans he, would do well to have one child per family until we restore, until we're not fighting each other over resources anymore, you know? Well, they're self-selecting right now. There's so many women transitioning to men getting their uteruses pulled out okay, let them, choosing let to be them, childless Jenny, Jenny, yeah Jenny, no, let it's, them, it's their choice let them. where i where i get upset is when i see teenagers girls young girls being seduced you know by the culture into doing this not really considering you know you're not gonna be able to have kids you're not let gonna be able to them, rescue Jenny, Jenny, let them those women no, would I, not be fit mothers they're I not ready to be let mothers them because, let because them the, they're being seduced and they, you know, so be it. That is the job of the devil to separate the goats from the sheep. That is the job. Yeah. Like you cannot, a 12, -year -old, lay... a 12 year old should not be making these choices. They're too little. No. And their parents should have a better relationship with their child. But you know what? Like if someone like, uh, I don't know. I'm just like, I think we need some kind of eugenics, Jenny. I don't know if you've seen idiocracy, like we, we need a moral form of eugenics that just says, hey, what's going on right now is a lot of alcoholics are making a lot of really bad reproductive decisions. And yeah, who, who gets to a decide? lot of people are encouraging who them to, to carry decide? out these you, bad decisions the full term. Klaus Schwab, and who gets to decide? What are the rules? Who gets to so decide? So let's decide ourselves. No, I, I just I just think the most sacred like this, right this is the right to be a parent. This used to be the job of women, Jenny. 
Actually, let me put it to you this way. This used to be the job of women. Women used to be in charge of reproduction. Who has sex with who and who marries who and all this. There was a matchmaker. And her job was to make sure that people didn't get too inbred. It was her job to keep, to, to stir the pot of genetics within the culture and the, and, the, and the island, the tribe, whatever, to ensure they didn't end up with inbred um, looking hillbilly children, right? Does that make sense? I just, I can't have this conversation, Brady. <laughs> oh my God, it's I so important. I am so <laughs> against any sort of planning and assuming you know better than other people. Again, this is my lived experience. The people who dismissed the, the messaging I had around free birth always pointed to, you know, these women are too stupid to do this. These women are too young to do this. How dare they do this without someone credentialed and who has a degree from a prestigious university. They should not, you know, I've heard it. I've heard it for 30 years. These are well, the, here's the, thing. The, the elites I was chatting with in those chat rooms are the very people who would presume to say, Oh, you can't do this without a license or you can't do this. And, and you know, you have you a have certain a really amount good of point status. That is, a to that is a form of toxic matriarchy. And um, it's a form of toxic matriarchy is the uh, matchmaker, right? That has absolutely been abused by toxic women all throughout history, throughout its examples. So there are examples of toxic um, uh, feminism, you know, and uh, another fantastic example of toxic feminism is the fast fashion industry and makeup and how incredibly destructive those are on the environment and how, how much they rely on child slave, child and slave labor as well for those industries. And the labor of, of animals as well. Um, it's really incredibly toxic to the point where they're literally slashing um, clothes and throwing them in dumpsters so that no one dive, no one pulls them out of the dumpsters and can use them. You know, they're just destroying merchandise that didn't get sold to increase demand. And yeah. this is a massive sin. It was, you know, God didn't write that on some tablets, but this is something we should be focused on, right? Like I said, Isaiah prophesied about the materialism of women in our day and the, mm -hmm. the gross mischaracterizations of womanhood and what it means to be a woman and a mother. Right. And Here's a really he's, good point. Said, like, Ginny, like, how, how can we glamorize the dad bod when dads aren't the ones who get pregnant? Well, Isaiah prophesied that the Lord himself would take away this materialism through a variety of means. And I think we're there. He's going to shake things so, so significantly as Babylon falls that those who are lost in this materialism and um, I don't know what the word is. They're, they're just so deluded about detachment. what's going on. Detachment. It's detachment. Like you said okay. earlier, I don't care. When you said, I don't the, care, it's that detachment that is the, they, the true okay. sin. They believe the materialism is what's going to make them happy. When in fact, happiness is to be found, real happiness is to be found in quiet family living. You know, giving birth to your own child, taking care of your own child. These young girls today, not only do they not want to do the work of motherhood, which is, it's hard okay. work. You well, know, I totally agree with you on that front, but I got to get some work done so I can, I can raise a family. Well, find yourself <laughs> a woman who wants to do it all. 
She wants to. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting very patiently. I'm 36 years old. I'm actually about to become a sperm donor because I'm tired of waiting for that woman to show up in my life. And honestly, I'm not ready for that woman if she did show up. So, um, yeah, you know, I've been banged around, neglected, abused, but, um, there's a lot of lesbians that actually reached out to me and they wanted me to be a sperm donor for like their kid. And I was like, you know what? I think I might be down, but then a uh, part of me was afraid I might meet a girl and she would think it was weird if I had a family with some lesbians, you know what I mean? Like, and so have I didn't you, do have it. Have you heard about the trad wife movement, the traditional wives? No. Just Google it. It's a thing, especially on Instagram. These are a group of women who want to be householders, who want to be stay-at-home moms, who are focused on babies and cooking and taking care of their husbands. You go tap into that group and you will find your wife. No, I don't think so. Sounds like um, I'm not looking for a baby-daddy relationship, really. That doesn't appeal to me. Um, I would like to be a stay-at-home dad. I would like to take care of my wife as well and cook for her and clean for her and like do all the things as like a team, I would like to have mutual goals. So what I'm looking for is someone that shares mutual goals with me. That's a and I have wife. yet to find. What do you think I just find said? someone that really kind of vibes with what, all of my mutual goals? What, I'm not talking about you being a baby daddy. I'm talking about women who want to get married, have a family. Well, there's plenty of those women, Jenny. I know they're a dime a dozen. Guess what? They're a dime a dozen, and I don't need an app to find them either. They're not they're a everywhere. dime a dozen. Everybody's feminist bet, right now. Bet, bet, Jenny. I guarantee you, I could, I could, I could, if I wanted one of those women, I'd have 10 of them. It's not what I'm into. It doesn't turn me on. Well, good luck finding her. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm working on making myself ready to meet her. And, and, and I think once I've done that, I will end up crossing her path. I'd love to hear about it. I'll let you know. And I, I'm here to testify to you right now that I, you know, I, I'm not going to, Never mind. I'm not going to toot my own horn. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, I've you been very lucky. Find, with you have to find somebody who's kind yeah, of a yeah. diamond in the rough and then work yes. together and to become yes. certain traits are developed best with a loving spouse. Together. Yeah. Yes. Certain things you can't accomplish on your own. And what I found with my husband is while he was very traditional medicine, he also had an open mind. And he was willing to listen when I said, after our third baby, I said, I can't give birth in the hospital again. I just can't. And he, he was willing to go the distance with me with our final two sons, you know, and even deliver uh -huh. our babies. And it's like, who does that, you know? But he did. And it, it, it made me love him so much more that some husbands are like, no way, no how, you're not doing this. It's too dangerous. You're not doing this with my child, you know? He didn't do that. And it endeared him to me that he was willing to listen and consider and say, okay, this makes me feel uncomfortable, but, you know, I feel like she's really, you know, the one who should decide. You want to talk about choice, you know, he respected my choice. Cool. And so I hope well, you I gotta get some food and get some work done. I had to go make myself ready to meet this lady. I'll let you know what happens. But I'm glad we had that discussion. Thanks for being brave enough to have it with me because now I have a better understanding of you. And I know what you're what you're good at now. I, I, I have a huge amount of respect for you now where I did not before. So how about that? Good. 
Well, thank you for showing, <laughs> showing up and being willing to engage when others simply dismiss and call me crazy. Yeah, and any like I said, anytime I catch anyone calling you crazy, which I totally agree with them on that front, I will still mention to them, she's crazy effective. And what have you done? <laughs> she's I crazy good. That. Yeah, she's crazy good. Jenny is crazy good. And um, there's just a few roadblocks, you know, like, like, like you said, there's going to be a great vibration that shakes away all the materialistic bullshit, right? Yep. It's and right in can front you, of us. Can, can you personify materialistic bullshit any better than Donald Trump? Um, I would say the materialistic BS is epidurals and baby formula. Oh, no, I said who? Who amongst the humans exemplifies material bullshit more than Donald Trump? Give me some examples. Uh, just the a ACOG group, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. <laughs> more materialistic? Whole, you would say the obstetricians industry. and gynecologists are more materialistic than Donald Trump? Like, their really, as, as like a group of people? Their whole industry runs on the pelvic gold mine. Okay. Um, that is a, a good point. <laughs> but it's an interesting... Interesting target, <laughs> interesting example of, uh, how do you say materialism? <laughs> it seems like a rather uh, respectable kind of like spiritual endeavor. But um, uh, anyway, I'm going to get some food. <laughs> it's time for me to eat lunch. Right. <laughs> you got me there. Bless you. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Thanks. And um, yeah, see you on the flip. If anyone calls you crazy, I'm going to say you're crazy good and crazy good at delivering babies. <laughs> I don't deliver them. I teach couples how to do it themselves. Hey, that's part of the process. Education is part of that process, Jenny. You got to, you have an influence. Every action you take sends a ripple throughout the entire universe that will last into infinity. You are infinitely, you are affecting future events right now. With every action, thought, word you say, thing you type, thing you do, breath you take, everything you do is sending ripples into infinity. So in that way, you are already immortal. Thank you. Congratulations. You're in the Illuminati now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Illuminati. It's that easy. It's literally that easy. I think I just initiated you. <laughs> oh, you have a great day. Also children though, children are the chemical, the, the physical, um, how do you say immortality, the physical version, the material version of immortality is children. So immortality right. on this earthly plane lies in our children and our, For that's me, why family is so important. It's all that's what they mean the by babies. family is so important. It's all about yeah, the babies, it's all, all about, about the babies. Making totally right. them healthy, helping them on so their way. I think yeah, I'm going to help people make some babies who I think are legit couples. Because here's the thing, Jenny, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, this is what trips me out. I think this is a conversation you didn't really want to have, but I'm going to say it in a cool way. I'm not going to be insulting or anything, but like, I joined a website for sperm donation, right? And the people who I saw wanting to have children had no fucking business having more babies or kids at all you know what i mean like i had a so lot of people approach me did you meet them face to face no i talked to them online but just like the general just the conversations i had with them digitally i was like there's no way i'm trusting you with any child 
anyone's child, let alone mine. Shit, no, you know. So like, so you're you're I'm able to only... say no? Oh yeah, fuck yeah. And I, I and as a matter of fact, I insist on knowing who's going to be having my seed. Like I, you know, like I I don't want to be like some just namelessly giving it out there, you know, because there's a karmic, yeah, um, price for that. You, um, you should raise your a karmic own price baby. for that, and I'm aware of it. Brady, you um, should raise your own children. Yeah, I, I, I want to be a part of these children. kids' lives. I, I want to be available to these children, absolutely, as long as I can. And I think um, there are the a lot of really you can good... Do, the best thing you could do is to carefully pick their mother. Um, and the, fa the father is in consideration as well. But yeah, the mother is, of course, the, the largest consideration. I'm yeah. saying your the mother of your children is your most important choice. And whoever you exactly. choose to partner partner yeah. with is, you know, find somebody who loves her own mother. The, the partners are also a very big factor in that choice, though. It says a lot about the woman right there. You know what I mean? So um, but I'm telling you, Jenny, like I, I came really close with one lesbian couple. And a really funny thing is that I ended up I think I ended up building a garden for them years later. And I saw the kid they had. Um, I got to meet the kid they had. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? How's he doing? Um, and that, that was a trip. Um, I think he would have been better off with my jeans. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> like, and it would be cool. I mean, he'd be right up the street from me right now. I could go up there and just kind of be a part of his life. And I have a feeling, I, I don't know who his, who his donor was, but I speculate that I might have been a better influence than whoever that guy is, you know? So I think I should, it's, it's, a, it's well, kind of a, it's, that was my calling to do it, you know? And I, I've waited too main, long on it. So. That's my main critique of, gay partnerships is that these kids miss out on having a dad or miss out on having oh, a mom. Not and if there's I, a good community, not if there's good community. And I um, also I, I'm in Boulder. You imagine so having many... two moms, like having two moms is fucking awesome. Can you imagine having no, two moms? Like having two dads would suck. Two dads I'm would totally Boulder. suck. Don't get me wrong. I've, but like I'm having two Boulder. moms would be I've, the fucking bomb. I've crossed paths with so many kids of lesbian couples in Boulder. Okay. And I was the, best friends with a father, child of a lesbian couple in high school. And you're absolutely right. She was tormented by her stepmom and their father, sexually. No, their father, there's yeah. father hunger. They are hungry for a relationship oh, yeah, with their totally. dads and they miss yeah, out on mean. that. And, it, and it's real. It's palpable. And even, even the ones but you know who what? have a it, father. It, you know, hey, Ginny, Ginny, I'm here to tell you it's, 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 it's wrong. It's, it's, it's schizophrenia. They're experiencing, they're, they're putting their problems on the, the daddy thing and not examining themselves is what it is. It's, it's a mental disorder. It's a, it's a schism between reality and what's really going on. Because I have, I have a father who lives right up the street from me right now. He's been in my life, my whole life. And he's been nothing, damn near nothing but a pain in the ass, except for when I need like some cash or like uses tools or something like that. Like he's physically, basically his physical, physical assets are the cool thing about a dad, you know, like the physical asset of like using his stuff or getting his, the wealth, you know, but if, if, if you have two mothers who are capable of providing all that stuff, which they're, you know what I mean? Then it kind of fills that gap. Like he's the dad, the dad in my life is really only there as a material like, is this your is this your like biological a, father? My biological father. Yeah, he lives right up the street from me. He plays music too. We never jam out. We hardly ever jam out. He's a total Donald worshiper. He's terrified of me. 
But Brady, he, you're diminishing you're diminishing fatherhood to sperm and a paycheck. And a father's exactly shine, that's all he is. Brightest. That's all he's ever he been to me, and a really brightest. shitty paycheck too. I, I worked for him for oh, five years. I worked Brady, for the family fathers. company for five years for nine dollars an hour. I almost died twice. Um, I inhaled a rock. It's going to end my life early. I have rib damage from running into stuff. It broke my back, like, and I got paid nine dollars an hour the whole time. And so I was used like slave father, labor. The greatest thing a father yeah. offers his children is spiritual things. Not and he didn't have any of that. He's a Scorpio. He has no spiritual connection. All he does is thump the Bible and doesn't read it. I'm just saying you're diminishing the potential for all fathers when you define them as a paycheck or material stuff. The the spiritual well, No, legacy. no, no. That's not what I'm doing, Jenny. I'm saying this is my father. Like I have a father and this is all he is. He's no good. He's a half man. You know what I mean? Um, there's you, no spiritual you, you aspect to him. That, you were saying that lesbians could provide everything kids need, and I'm like, no. All right, well, I'm I'm turning They're into more of a half out. man the longer I have this conversation. I'm sorry, I'm really looking for it out. I got to go get some stuff done. <laughs> uh, this is distracting, <laughs> but I'm glad we had this conversation because at least you're doing one thing in a cool way. Um, but have you ever had any anything go wrong in your years of? home births i hemorrhaged after my first home birth and uh almost died and my son wasn't breathing he turned blue so right Damn after girl. Birth, it, got, it got scary in about 30 seconds so we had to transfer to the hospital and we Oof. both almost died was it an underwater birth no i actually did die i felt my spirit leaving my body yeah and, um, i've had that happen to me before too did you experience the rainbow flames or see the rainbow bridge, the death rainbow? No, but I heard my grandmother's voice. She died when I was 12. And she said, oh, you trip. wimp. She said, you wimp, get back in your body. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That is I, awesome. <laughs> that's the truth. And then they gave me a transfusion and I, I felt more grounded after the transfusion. So. Yeah, it was That's a total failure. Cool. Total fail. The queen of free birth had a total failure experience. <laughs> hey, it happens to the best of us, you know. Um, and every single nurse in that hospital felt obligated to come into the room and figuratively kick me in the head. Yeah, what yeah, were you yeah thinking? I'm sure. How could you do well, this? Was you there anything you would have done differently? Is there anything you felt like you could have done differently or would have done differently? Did you learn anything? I spent seven years preparing for it diligently, did my own prenatal care, tried to walk by faith, you know, put everything to the yeah, test. Like, would you do anything differently if you could do it over again, that one birth? Was there like something you would change to mitigate that situation or avoid that, that problem? No, because I think if I'd gone in and been induced, which if I'd been in, even under a midwife's care because of the law in Colorado, I would have been compelled by law to get induced three weeks before he was born. Um, he was born at 45 weeks and he was an 11 pound baby. So, you know, they would have forced me to have an induction, probably would have been a C-section. Wouldn't have been good for him. He wanted those extra three weeks. I've heard that old souls like more womb time and uh, he definitely oh, has yeah. an old soul. But, you know, it is what it is. You, you have these experiences and, you know, 
go back and fix things? Well, with my next birth, I, I did some things to try to mitigate a hemorrhage and uh, my husband took a CPR class for infants. That was us attempting to make things go better. And my last birth was perfect. It, no problems. It went great. But, you know. Yeah, we need a better there's, way. There's no guarantees, yeah. Brady. There's human no guarantees. Human birth is absolutely stuff. being analyzed. And, and I'm really going to do a deep dive on human birth in the proxy party and totally talk about the way that we bring new humans into this world. <laughs> because we are not doing it in a responsible manner right now at all. Most of us well, are doing people, it drunk. People would look at my free birth and say that it was a total disaster. And that it was I did everything wrong. And they they've it wasn't been a total disaster. The baby lived, right? He's all right. Like he, it, there's no like. Well, they've been he's, saying he's it cognitive. to me for the last. He's 26. So for 26 years, all I've heard from my tribe is you failed. You know, it's what people honestly still talk about today. Remember Jenny? Well, how's he doing? Crazy? Well, how's he doing? Uh, I don't like to brag, but um, he's doing great. Right, so they could suck it. <laughs> like, you know nurses, what? Like, that's that's. It was a it's a rough landing. It was a rough entry. You know, rough entry, but uh, seemed like it didn't do any long term damage. Whereas I had a perfectly you know cozy birth. I think my mom handled it pretty well. She did it with no painkillers. You know, as naturally as she could. You know, and um, it was a normal regular birth. You know. And everything went pretty smooth. And I was a big fat baby, you know, and big nine pound baby. And um, yeah, everything was good. Um, well, as far as that process people... went, perfectly smooth. But look at me. I'm like, I've been like destroyed by the legal system in Texas and um, sucked dry by the police in this state. The biggest bullies on the block. And speaking of which, I got pulled over yesterday. I got pulled over yesterday for driving my girlfriend back home. And I have to call the city and get my stuff fixed today. So I, I need to start working on that. <laughs> All right. Well, but, I know you need to bail, but thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, likewise. Good talking to you. Nice to get to know you. You too. Okay. So I've been going for two hours. I started this show to talk about the Brunson case and I'm going to finish with this conversation I had with this professor, Jeremy Surrey, uh, at the Pangburn hangout talking about civil war by other means, which is his book. So I'm just going to finish with this. Welcome, everybody, to the Pangburn Hangout. I'm your host today, Masha. And uh, the Pangburn Hangout is a loose association of broadcasters. And probably the only thing that we have in common is that we are dedicated to exploring new issues and having good faith conversations about all sorts of topics. So um, 
I would like to introduce our guest today. It is Jeremy Suri. He's the Mac Brown Distinguished Professor for Global Leadership, History, and Public Policy at the University of Texas at Austin. Writer, historian, academic, lecturer, podcaster, public intellectual. He writes of himself, I am a child of the global transformations that remade societies in the last century. War, migration, nation building, and mobility through higher education. All of my research, writing, and teaching seeks to explain these transformations, their diverse origins, their contradictory contours, and their long-lasting effects. My scholarship is therefore an extended inquiry into the workings of power at local and international levels and the interactions across these levels. Like other historians, I treat power as contingent, context-dependent, and often quite elusive. Like practitioners of politics, I view power as essential for any meaningful achievement, especially in the realms of social justice and democratization. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. It's nice to be with you, Masha. Yeah, I, I was—I had to start with your uh, bio. That is the more kind of like personal one because I really like vibe with a lot of it. I really identify. <laughs> so I'm really fascinated that um, you. Unlike many other academics, you do um, sort of find a way to work personal experiences into um, what you say and what you write, and I really admire that. So I think it's very intellectually honest of you to to contextualize that. Thank you for saying that. You know, I think for too long we've discouraged academics and many other people from discussing what is it that brings them to their work. And I think we should be open and honest about our own biases. We're all shaped by the experiences we have. That doesn't mean our research doesn't take us in new directions, but we never escape. Agree, agree, agree. And so much of your writing, like, I have to tell you, it preparing for this interview was uh, like taking a summer course, you know, like at the, <laughs> at the graduate level, <laughs> honestly, like I really, I, and I say like, I really, I, and I still feel like, um, in my head. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, I would like to start by asking you about your most recent book, Civil War by Other Means. Uh, America's long and unfinished fight for democracy. So that's quite a spicy title. So can we start by, I'd like to start in a sort of more accessible way to, by defining what you mean by democracy. Sure. So I, I use for democracy, Abraham Lincoln's definition, government of the people. That's why I'm for prosecuting Donald Trump. He will continue to break the law. He'll continue to lie until he's prosecuted. Um, shall we take a caller? Please. All right. We have Jenny. Please go ahead and unmute yourself. Thanks, Jenny. Masha. Yeah. I was so glad you flagged me about this, this show. I think it's a great show. Great. I'm so glad you could make it. So, Jeremy, I'm a Trump supporter and was surprised that January 6th, two years ago, was not more violent. Um, I think it was remarkable that there were no firearms carried into the Capitol, because you would think if it was going to be an insurrection, they would have burned the place down and started shooting the place up. So um, I disagree that Trump should be prosecuted. There were serious questions. A hundred members of Congress had serious questions about voter fraud. They were ignored. 
there should have been a 10-day investigation per the Constitution. Have you heard of the Brunson case out of Utah? I have, yes. What do you think about it? It's nonsense. It's all nonsense. I'm sorry to say, Jenny, I appreciate you being here, and I respect I respect uh, where you come from, and I, I can actually understand uh, why you would why why lots of thoughtful you sound like a very thoughtful person and and people who care about our country would not support uh, Joe Biden and would not support Democrats and would support Republican leaders of one kind or another. I I do I do deeply respect that. Uh, no, you don't. You just and, called me a loser, and people like me losers. So well, you know, yes. Let's, let's get yeah. let's get real here. Yeah. So so let me answer your first. I, I wrote down your first set of questions. Let me answer those, then I'll come to that point too. Is, is that okay with you? It's your show. Um, so, so no firearms. Um, actually, that's that's in fact wrong. There were a number who did bring firearms, and there's actually a piece in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal today laying that out. It was a small number, but there were number there were those who brought firearms, and there were also quite a large number who made weapons of different sorts. Uh, for example, using flagpoles to hit police officers. Uh, those who brought in um, what uh, the, the ties, the, the ties, whatever they call the ties they use instead of uh, handcuffs and various things like that. Uh, in fact, it was a very weaponized environment. Why were there no? Why were there not rifles as there would be in Austin, Texas? Uh, because Washington D.C. has very strict gun control laws, and in fact, many of those, as you know. I'm telling you what you know, and I, I know you know this. Uh, many of those who went to the Capitol, a very high proportion, had been at the rally at the Oval at the White House. And in order to get into that rally, they had to go through metal detectors. They could not have weapons. So that is actually why they were not carrying weapons. And many of them, when they were prosecuted, 950 were prosecuted. I've read probably 300 or so of the affidavits. I haven't read them all, I'll be honest. But I've read about 300 of them. Uh, most of them brought weapons to D.C. They just left them in there hotel rooms because they couldn't actually bring them to the Oval. Uh, so it was because of gun laws in D.C. If this had been Austin, Texas, if we ran the same story in Austin, Texas, they would have been carrying guns. Whether they would have shot them or not, I don't know. I don't know, but they would have been carrying guns. Many of them were people who normally do carry guns. In fact, many of them were Texans, uh, a few even from Austin, who normally carry guns because they're allowed to in Austin and left their guns at their hotels in D.C. because of D.C. gun laws. Those are just facts. Those have been actually substantiated by multiple sources. Now, a uh, hundred serious ish cases are, or arguments about voter fraud, that's also nonsense. Uh, these have been investigated deeply. I've looked into them as much as I can. I'm not a voting expert. Uh, but the only evidence of fraud are a few cases of Republicans who voted twice. There's no evidence of any serious fraud. And by the way, even if you counted up the numbers of some of the onesies and twosies cases, which are mostly of Republicans who voted twice, it, it wouldn't shift any election at all. They even tried in Arizona to recount and count again the ballots. And you all, you know how that came out. There, there's, there's no fraud of any number that actually changed ballots. Now, you said there was a constitutional requirement to do some investigation. Nonsense. No such thing. That is something I'm an expert on. The only time we ever did that, it's described in my book in detail, is in 1876. Actually, it's early 1877. It's an electoral commission. Senator Ted Cruz, my senator, referred to that during the debates uh, for certification. Uh, and that electoral commission was unconstitutional and it didn't work. And if you want the details on that, it's in my book. Uh, the electoral commission actually didn't work. It didn't resolve anything uh, at all. Uh, Congress did its actual constitutional duty. You didn't mention the fake electors. In a number of states, Republicans led by Donald Trump 
encouraged by Donald Trump, got people to actually perjure themselves, to say things they knew were untrue, that they now deny that they believed at the time to perjure themselves and set themselves up as fake electors. It would be like my posing as your power of attorney and trying to use your account and your money when I don't have the rights to do that. They were perjuring themselves in that way. They were encouraged by the White House. If you tried to do that, you would be arrested tomorrow. If you tried to get someone to impersonate me, not only would the impersonator of me be arrested, you would be arrested. This is an actuality what the White House was doing, to get impersonators of electors in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Arizona, in Georgia, and elsewhere. That is a high felony. And in fact, the record that they did that is incontrovertible. The only question is whether Donald Trump should be held accountable for it uh, or not. Now, did I call you losers? Yes. Um... Losers in the sense that society, use yourself, say it. I'm quoting what Trump supporters say, that the change, what does Trump keep saying? Our society's going to garbage. Our society's going the wrong way, right? The new carnage. What does that mean? That the America that he thinks was great, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, whatever, that America's going in a different direction. You feel, or most of those who support Trump, feel the direction that America is going is a direction where they lose. And so you're supporting him because you don't want to lose. On the other side, many who support the Democratic side think the changes in our society will help them. They think they will win from those changes. So that's why they support the Democratic side. So I'm just using your own words here. Trump himself, every speech he gives, says, my people are losing because of the changes in society. You are seeing yourselves as losing with these changes, which is why you oppose them. Whether that's the right thing to, to do or not, that's a matter of opinion. I, I'm a historian. I can't tell you what to think. But that is an assessment of the political discourse and the argument. Well, I reject your, I re, I uh, reject I your definition out? of loser. I took it as an insult, and I continue to believe it was an insult. And that's not what, the way to make friends with the 80 million of us who voted for President Trump. Now, what sort of good thing will happen by prosecuting him, perhaps locking him up, will only lead to more divisiveness. Because he broke the law. There because are many of us who law. plan to vote because for him in 2024. If you break the law, I listen politely. Will you, you talk? Break the you're not law, listening. Jenny. Jenny, you're not if hearing you break one word I'm saying because you're talking over if me. You, I'm just correcting you know, Masha, your facts. You I would love to participate on this show, the but law. this guy, he's just really rude. So I'll listen, but thank you. Just, you know. If you break the law, and I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, I don't care if you like Trump or don't like Trump, if you break the law, you should be a held, a held accountable to the law. And it doesn't matter whether you're president or not president. Spiro Agnew was vice president, prosecuted for tax fraud. Aaron Burr was vice president, prosecuted for killing, uh, killing Hamilton and prosecuted also for leading an insurrection. If you break the law, whether you're president or you're just a lowly professor, you should be subjected to legal prosecution. No one gets away without that. And I don't care what your party is. That is not a party. I, I agree with you. We should all be living under the law. But when I'm in a state in Colorado that perfected the art of the steel using mail-in ballots, where we have more people voting in every single county than are on the voter rolls, then I'm, I'm allowed to say, hey, I'm noticing something here in my state. And when you have a candidate who says, you know, this election was just stolen with voter fraud, 
We need to do something about it. Did you expect us to all just kind of sit quiet and say, hmm, I guess we'll just believe what they say on CNN. No, we were angry. We were upset. So some people did things and said things. And I was applauding them every step of the way. If I had the heart to do it, I would have been there too on January 6th, demanding a redress of my criticisms. And instead, it was all just covered up with this insurrection. And, um, you know, we'll just see how it goes. But I'd love to see Donald Trump, Trump as the... Uh, Speaker of the House and our next president. So thanks for listening. Thanks for calling so, in, Jenny. So, so, th- th- so I'll just, on the Colorado point, you're, again, I, I respect your, your own opinion on Trump and who you want to have as Speaker of the House. I obviously have a different opinion on that, but I'm not, I'm not an expert on Speakers of the House. I'm not claiming I know who should be Speaker of the House. I don't know who should be Speaker of the House. Um, I, I just want to correct the facts because I am a scholar of facts. Um, in Colorado... There were not more people who mailed in than on the voting rolls. Uh, I've actually read up on this because I've heard this claim made. That's just wrong. In fact, not even claimed by Republicans, uh, by Republican leaders who, who oversee the elections in Colorado. Uh, that's just not true. Uh, there were a lot of mail-in ballots. Many states have moved to mail-in ballots. Some states like Washington are entirely mail-in. Uh, the first mail-in ballots, let's talk about the history of that. Why do we have mail-in ballots? This is in my book, by the way. It's the facts. Uh, we began mail-in balloting during the Civil War, so soldiers who were defending their country could vote. Because if you were a soldier from Wisconsin and you were fighting in Tennessee, you obviously couldn't get back to Wisconsin to vote. So we created mail-in balloting then. That's why we've used it. Historically, it has been actually the safest and least fraudulent of all voting. And now it is actually by far the safest because we can barcode every ballot and follow every space where it goes. There's no evidence, none at all, that mail-in voting actually is more fraudulent. And in fact, in many states, more Republicans vote vote by mail than Democrats. In Florida, for example, Ron DeSantis won more mail-in votes than anyone else, by far, uh, and a higher proportion of mail-in votes than day-of-in-person votes. So mail-in voting is something Republicans and Democrats do. Uh, whether you want to vote by mail or you want to vote in person is your choice. I think no, it's not my choice. choice. I can't. I can't uh, but do there's it no reason. because it's the only way I can but, vote. Okay, well, I I would support they're giving you a day a day of voting too. I'm I'm for that. I'm, I agree with you on that point. But there were not there were not more mail-in voters than people on the rolls. That's well, and to true. say that the people on the rolls all take the time to fill out their ballot is also suspect. Because in, especially in off-season year when we're not voting for a president, you're lucky to get 40 to 50% of the people putting in a ballot. To have over 100% in each county is just unheard of. And yet that's what we had here in Colorado. But there wasn't over yes, 100%. Yes, it was. You just don't have that's the facts. That's not right. That's, that's you don't not, have the facts. That's, I do on this no, one. I've checked it. That's just not right. You can, you can say it all you want. If you have the evidence, present it to us, please. If you have it, we're on for a while. Bring the evidence. Show me. Well, there's Show a... Me. Show me. I, you're entitled to your opinions. You're entitled to your opinions. We just let's just agree there are facts and there are opinions. But maybe you're right. Maybe Trump should be elected. I think he I, will I'm be. I'm willing to I respect that opinion. Be. Okay, good. I just, just, but, but there was no voter fraud in, in Colorado. No <laughs> I, evidence. Of it. I want to in ask. Fact, it's been checked. I would it's like to ask you both. Court. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I, I wasn't. Um, I really had hoped that we wouldn't devolve into like a relitigation of some of these things, but um, I'll I'll also say as much as I also wanted to resist like giving any kind of positionality statement, I need to 
just be clear here. I'm an sort of like an uninterested observer. I, I have, am a European citizen. I don't vote anywhere in, in uh, North America. And so again, th this is to me fascinating. And, uh, these, these, these camps that form, um, it's, uh, there's a lot of fraught rhetoric, uh, on both sides. And, uh, I, you know, these, these are things that, um, Okay, so so one of the questions we had while the two of you were were talking was about mandatory voting, and Jeremy, you had talked about potentially being in favor of of such a thing in the U.S. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I think mandatory voting would help with many of the concerns that Jenny and others have, right? Uh, so a model of this could be Australia. Australia has mandatory voting. In Australia, just as it's mandatory in the United States, when you turn 18 uh, to register for selective service, my son just turned 18, he's, he's actually automatically registered for selective service. It's mandatory once you become 18 to go and vote. But you are not required to vote for any of the candidates. You can go and vote for none of the above. So you're not being required to make a choice when you don't like the choices. You're just required to show up and vote. And by the way, if you don't, it's not like you get thrown in jail, you get fined. And so the, all this is doing is creating an incentive for you to vote. Now, why is this important? For my concern, and then I'll address Jenny's concern, because I think both have some, they're both serious concerns, right? On my side, the concern about participation, if you make it mandatory for everyone to vote, no one can stop you from voting. They can't create rules to make it hard for you to vote. Voting is not, not a privilege then. Every state, every city would have an obligation to make it easier for you to vote as we make it easier for selective service. So in Texas, again, you have to register to vote. You have to do all kinds of things to prove you should be able to vote. But when my son turned 18, he's automatically registered for a selective service. It should be that way for registering for, for voting. That would make it more accessible to everyone, my concern. For the concern that Jenny and others have about fraud, if you make it mandatory, right, you can then put all the protections you want on it because everyone has to do it. You can't say that no one could then say, I don't want to have to show this ID or whatever because you have to do it. And so we could do whatever people want to make it secure. Do we want to fingerprint people? We could do whatever they, whatever is wanted in that sense to make sure that it is secure and that someone is not going and voting for someone else or whatever the assumption of fraud I is. I think we should have. Uh, so we could address both. I think we should have just the opposite, not mandatory voting. We should have a civics test that people have to pass before they have the privilege of voting. Now, you asked for some evidence about Colorado fraud. There's a pretty famous case that made national news. Tina Peters, Grand Junction, she was doing her job, found some voter irregularities, and the machine in Colorado went after her like nobody else. They sent the FBI and the police, and they arrested her, and accused her of the very thing that she was trying to expose, meaning fudging the data in terms of what the voter counting machines were doing. This became a big national story. I shared a link. She demanded a recount. They said, okay, we'll give you a recount. But then they didn't do it right. So her complaining about that meant there was more piling on in the media. So even when you have an election judge who's doing their job, who's trying to expose voter fraud, and then she gets the book thrown at her and dealing with all of this stuff, her legal bills have been crazy. That sends a message to anybody else in Colorado. Hey, you better not question anything or we're coming after you. And I can tell you that that's what happened. So to say that there was no voter fraud in Colorado, no, I'm not going to buy it. I don't accept your sources. I've watched this unfold in my state in real time. I watched what happened to people who are trying to expose it. 
and that includes myself. I was doing major stories on this on my Substack and Twitter in real time. So, you know, I don't care what evidence you saw. I know what happened in my state. Oh, did we lose Jeremy? He doesn't like being confronted. Oh. Jeremy, we've lost just your video feed. Can you? Oh, and your audio is off. Hold on. Uh, Am I back? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, but your video feed is down. I'm sorry. I don't I don't know why that happened. My my video went off. I'm going to try to fix that while while I'm answering Jenny's Jenny's point. So the Tina Peters case, Jenny, I actually have read a little bit about that, but I'm not I'm not an expert on that case. I I actually don't think you have it right. But I I want I'm not going to litigate that. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Because my my because my my uh, video is out. I, I, I was responding to your claim, which was a different claim earlier. You claimed, I have it written down here, that there were more people who voted by mail than there were on the voting rolls. That is not true. That is something I've looked at, and you have not provided evidence of that claim. This other claim about Teeter Peters is a different claim. This is a claim about machines somehow changing the vote one way or another. I, if, if, if you want, I'll take some time and read into this some more and respond to you. I don't, I, 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 I don't, all I know is that her claims were litigated in court and there was nothing found to them, but I don't know the details. Well, I do. Uh, but that's a different claim from the claim you made. Jenny, let me finish. That's a different claim from the claim you made before, which I do know about. So I'm not going to comment on what I don't know about. And maybe you know stuff about Tina Peters. I don't because I'm not an expert, but I do know that there were not more people who voted by mail then are on the voting rolls in Colorado, which is what you claimed before, which is false. Okay, I would love for us to move on from this topic. I don't think that anyone is going to be moved by um, by this discussion in either direction. Can, so I'm going to say, can I say one final thing, Masha? Yes. Since especially, I try to fix my camera. Since especially you're talking about civil war. If we were going to have a civil war in the coming years it would revolve around this very issue. And especially if Donald Trump is put in prison, uh, that would be a move that would make many people like me feel like now is the time to perhaps have a civil war. So just know that these conversations are very important. And I appreciate you providing a forum and, and, and allowing me to speak so much. And Jeremy, no ill will. I appreciate you responding in good faith. And, you know, I don't have an agenda. I just want to know that my vote counts. That's very fair. Thank you so much, Jenny. And thank you for being so, so honest. Um, I, I appreciate that. I think it's important to know. And I mean, I don't know if any of us are claiming to speak for, for like some broader, um, population or, or whatever. I, I don't know, Jeremy, you're clearly right. Yeah. Nope. So, nope. uh, but, but I think, um, certainly, as individuals, it, I, I'm always fascinated to hear what motivates uh, people's um, belonging to, to groups and, and uh, what, uh, for, for me, it's difficult to conceptualize um, that any, it seems to me like a, a politics of defeat, like the idea that voting doesn't matter, voting is, is just completely going to be fraudulent anyway, so we might uh, or we're we're so disenfranchised in so many ways that anything we say, right? Like the non-participation that's coming from the right lately is disturbing to me. Um, Jeremy, is there anything there that you want to speak about? 
the, the only thing I want to say on this, because I thought Jenny had, uh, had some good words at the end, but I, the only thing I want to say on this to what you said is I support everyone voting. I really don't care whether you agree with me or not. I want everyone to vote. And I see the problem in our society as uh, that not enough people vote. Not enough of my students vote. There are all kinds of reasons we could talk about that. Uh, not enough young people vote. Not enough citizens vote. And so we don't have um, good representation in our society for that reason. And I would be very happy to have more people who disagree with me on the right vote and elect people who actually are more representative of them. I don't like gerrymandering for this reason. We end up with districts that don't represent people. I want to we're back where we started, Marshall, with your first question. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. I have faith in the people. I'm okay being disagreeing with people, uh, but help people to vote and participate. Yeah, I agree. I think that what's another thing, another point to make perhaps is is the the extent to which gerrymandering uh, has been helping the Republicans, and I'm not sure, uh, you know. It, I don't want to like draw too many parallels here, but to to what extent do you think democracy uh, is so that differently, was... perhaps? And uh, and you've spoken before about um, you know you'd like to see uh, bad uh, bad actors, Repu Republican bad actors, um, sidelined, and uh, and I I think that that's also. A yearning towards democracy, right? Because I think that there are many um, sort of pundits, possibly on both sides, but certainly I've seen it among the um, the GOP uh, that seem to be calling for some sort of non-participation or exit or like it, it seems anti-democratic to me as a European observer. Um, is that is that is that make sense? Yeah, I don't think that's mainstream. I don't think that's what most Republicans believe, but there are some. Uh, there are some who seem to believe that democracy is not a um, good way to continue forward. Uh, Blake Masters, who ran in Arizona, again, we talk about political discourse. I read what people say. And so I just, I, that's what we do as a story. We read what people say and we quote them, right? Maybe we just copy people. That's all we're doing. Um, but um, Blake Masters, um, who went to the same university I went to. Uh, he's a little younger than I am. He was running in, in, in Arizona for the Senate. He lost, but he, you know, he was within five or six points. And he said he didn't believe in democracy in all cases. Democracy was not the solution. Uh, now, he didn't win. I think that that's in part because people believe in democracy and he didn't, including many Republicans. Uh, but there is some of that. Um, I think what's an old story is, again, where we started before. People don't like to lose power. People who've had power for a long time don't like to lose power. And uh, when democracy seems to, when the majority seems to do things that support your power, you're on the side of democracy. When it doesn't, you're not on the side of democracy. And that's why we have to have systems that don't let people decide what the system is, but that force them to comply with a set of basic So that's the end of the clip I took from the Pangburn Hangout. Masha was the host, and Jeremy Suri participated, um, professor of history from Texas, and wanting, just wrote a book about wanting to prosecute Donald Trump for so-called leading an insurrection against the Capitol on January 6, 2021.
So this Brunson case, I'm going to just right now in real time go out and look if there's been a decision. I'm just going to Lloyd or Roy Brunson's um, Twitter to see if anything's been decided. Sometimes they'll come out like at 12 noon on the day and say something and it's two o'clock right now in DC. So Loy wrote four hours ago, conference day two. Once again, we wanna thank all of you and reassure you, we are prepared for anything. We are in this fight until the very end. Keep praying for SCOTUS.